0: Thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk/slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. Hmm. Well. Did you just click your fingers? I did. It's my new podcast introduction. Okay. Okay, that that was that's good. People are going to love that. Good. I think that's a really. Is there any other part of your body that you can click? I used to be able to uh, crack my knee. Really? Yeah, I used to be able to pull my if I pull my foot up quite yeah. high and then push my put it back again yeah. quite fast. My knee would crack. Will it still do it? No. Do you want to try? No. Absolutely. No. Go on. Go on. Go on. No, I absolutely don't. Why? Well, it's the kind of thing that you can do in your 50s Yeah, but you might be able to do it now. Try. No, I can crack my nose. Yeah, okay. Everyone can do that. Yeah, with your teeth. All right, I can crack my eyelids. Go on. Okay, I don't. Are you (laughs) serious? Okay, you have to very. So, hang on. Just, just, just for the for the listeners, Simon is now putting his face very close to the microphone. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah, do it again. Oh. How are you doing that? Uh, I, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I, I, it's sort of, I put air in, in the eyelids and then I open my eyes and then it goes... So you, you lift your eyelids up. Don't do this at home, incidentally, yeah. children, because you... Will... Welcome to the freak show <laughs> that is quite <five> live. So <laughs> you're pulling your eyelids away from your eye. Yes. Filling them up with air. Yes. And, and then, then... I just open my eyes. Once more. Just once more with feeling. Then, then Once more, then you can stop doing it. Then you can stop doing... I have to take my glasses off every yeah, time. Yeah, I know. Go on. So, That's really strange. If Richard Gere could do that, it would lend a whole new thing to his blinky act. If every time he did it, you heard a popping sound. Yeah, Robin is going slightly crazy there, our editor through the glass, because this is, well, imitative behaviour, that I'm guilty of that, aren't I? No, I did say don't do this at home because you will will damage yourself. It's a ridiculous thing to do. Yeah. And I'm so. Which part of your body is that that's making that noise? That's that's my leather. Armchair. Your leather arm. <laughs> uh, anyway, what's up with your bad self? My eh, bad Mark? self is fine. Thank you. Is there more of your bad self? There are, Many people have written in to say that, that what you said was the first appearance of bad self is just way, way out. That apparently bad self has been appearing for, for, like, forever. It must have been James Brown, presumably. He got down with his bad you self. You are really creaking in that chair, and it's not even a leather chair. Well, the arm is faux leather. Faux leather. Did it come from a faux cow? Almost certainly. Um, yeah, well, I don't know who, who did the bad self, first of all, but it, um, apparently if, people have been getting down with their bad self for, for quite a long time. Since since the beginning of time. The beginning of time. Yes, that's exactly. how babies are made. Yes. That's, well, from people no, getting yeah. down? No that's, no, that's not right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Nick, uh, Edinburgh born. How spooky that listening to last week's podcast in the car with my youngest. Not a churchgoer yet, but takes in the reviews via YouTube clips. Uh, we should approach Hibernian's Easter Road Stadium just as you turn to a discussion of the tear-infusing qualities of the proclaimer's anthem Sunshine on Leaf. Oh, yeah. I almost cried. Well just by just by us discussing it. it. Yeah. But what he means what I mean is he didn't cry. If you almost cry, then you obviously didn't cry. But obviously we we were kind of we made him well up, I think that's the But that's like the thing, isn't it? When 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 um They talk about in aviation terms a near miss. It's not near miss, it's a near hit. Good point. Yeah. You should be in charge of news or something like that. Okay, moving on. Um, Andy Myers, BSC Computing, Legoland, Denmark driver's license. I attended a screening (laughs) of the rather excellent arrival at a centrally located London cinema last Saturday for an internet date. All of the merits and potential of internet dating remain in doubt. What do you think about internet dating? I've never done it. I have no idea whether it's any good. Um, I... Uh, so I have no opinion on the subject at all. Have you? Have you? No, no of course I haven't. Of course, because the, the point is, both you and I became married gentlemen before the internet was even invented. Kind of, yeah. So I mean, it's like, I mean, when Linda and I first started going out, we there was you know there was a chap waiting outside in a carriage, and I would hand him the scroll with a you know with parchment with a with a candle, it's and like, then the air raid warnings. That's right, and then then she would you know. re- reply by return, and then he would bring it back from right. Liverpool in the same day. he Used to get two posts. Anyway, Andy continues. Still single and still swiping, he says. Uh, The real highlight uh, of the experience occurred before the film in the cinema's foyer. Whilst waiting for my tardy date to arrive, I did what any sane internet data would do and put in my headphones to listen to the latest podcast and in turn marks rightly very positive review of Arrival. Good. As Simon echoed Mark's love for the film and shared his intention to see the film for a second time with yeah. his family... Because actually, actually, second time round, it's, it's even better, isn't it? It is. I looked over to my right for my date, only to spot none other than the entire Mayo family standing in the <laughs> foyer, no doubt waiting to see arrival For the second time. Mm. Exactly as Simon was confirming his intentions in my very ears. I do I, hope he went and said Hello. I removed my headphones and nervously edged closer with the intention of sharing this very spooky podcast-based coincidence with Simon and his family in a very sad fanboy manner. As I slowly approached, in hindsight perhaps somewhat stalker-like, I discovered that Simon and his family were not waiting to see the film but instead had apparently emerged from an afternoon screening and were apparently having a spoilerific conversation (laughs) about the film's ending. Well... Well, my desire to finally meet one of my heroes was quickly scuppered by my desire not to learn anything about the ending of Villeneuve's latest masterpiece, and I quickly scurried off to the other side of the foyer. This does raise an interesting question. Should the code of conduct not just cover behavior in the auditorium, but in the foyer? But also in the foyer post-film where discussions about the film's ending could result in conversations like, "So, that's... You well, he was dead all along." And was a ghost. Yeah. More? Actually, all those being overheard by unsuspecting patrons on their way in, mm-hmm. rather than on their way out. Yes, funnily enough, this is this is more of an issue than than you may think, because particularly back in the days of what were referred to as continuous performance. Remember continuous performance? He's had exactly. an It sounds like an eighteen certificate movie. <laughs> That's right, from some <laughs> French <laughs> artist. <laughs> the Gaulois. <Okay>. No, <laughs> so continuous performance is what they used to have you'd have two two films in rotation, like, say, for the purpose of argument, it's Beneath the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. And they would just show alternately, you know, three o'clock, five o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, and it was continuous performance. So the point is you could just go in, and what you'd often do is you'd go in in the middle of one of them and then watch half of it and then watch the whole of the second one and then watch the half of the first one up until the point that you got and then walk out. This was a standard thing. I didn't used to do it because I've always been much too you know, uptight about that sort of thing. But in the continuous performances, the the gap between the films could sometimes be, like, as little as 10 minutes. So, literally, as people were queuing to go in, people could have been coming out going, who knew they were on Earth the whole time, you know? Who knew he was a ghost the whole time? <laughs> who knew? It was a sledge of all the things, it could, you know? So, yes, it is a problem, and it, so generally it is a, c- considered to be a courtesy to your fellow patrons to... Short of saying, wow, that was really fabulous, or you don't want to waste your money on that, mate, you might as well go into Screen 3, don't discuss, you know, the... But I know, I mean, that's quite... But were you discussing it loudly or were you discussing it... Well, I don't think like... we were just, you know, because obviously there are some movies where you just want to say, wow, what did you think yeah. and wasn't that moment No, no, absolutely. And all but also, but if you were discussing it in a group that could only be heard if the said gentleman actually had approached you in order to say, hello, you are Simon Mayo and I claim my £5, pounds. love the, st- the show, Steve. Yes. Then that's kind of a different thing. It might have been a little bit too close. Yes. It might have been just lurking. Yes, Although one thing that that does imply is that if you're ever in a, in, in a cinema and you, you're getting unwanted attention, just start discussing the end of movies very loudly. And make people... Yeah, we weren't going, hey, you know that bit? that was You know, we weren't doing that. It was far more... Co- it was the butler. It was far more cultured than that. Uh, is it, I just want to mention this. I think there's time. From Joanne Mitten, who's Director of Studies, uh, 1999 winner of County Dublin Junior Debating Finals. We've got time for this? What we've got ages. See? We've got seven minutes. We've, done, we've already done the Saturday links. We've polished them off. Saturday, Saturday links. Saturday links. Saturday links. <laughs> Tell <you> it's class. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Joanne.
0: Come on, Joanne. Pull yourself together. Try I'm on. definitely in the short-term listener Celtic corner of your church. Your witching first came to my attention in 2015. She's, like, she's barely with us, really. Yeah. When Mark's like last week comodian cacophony about Entourage, the movie, started to circulate the echo chamber that is my social network timelines. And I thought I could get on with this bunch. Since then, I've been binging on podcast after podcast, usually whilst cleaning up the house. I'm currently writing this email on the final descent of a particularly lively flight from Florence to Dublin, screaming children... Violent turbulence, screeching announcement that the budget airliner won't to blast with re- with restless passengers that just won't settle down, stay in their seats or shut up. <laughs> Capital letters. <laughs> up until the point of writing this email, I was listening to last week's show, which was distracting me nicely from the chaos, particularly because it had uh, high levels of "it'll be all right in the endness." Included, However, said podcast has just ended and I'm close to meltdown, so I've decided to distract myself on the uh, final stages of this hell jaunt by writing to you about a recent missed wittetainment opportunity that, if caught by me, could have vastly improved the vocabulary bank of a number of Italians. Intrigued? Yes, I am. I was in Italy for a language teacher's conference and after a couple of wines at dinner, I found myself and some of my colleagues discussing Irish and British colloquialisms With a table full of Italian teachers, right? Someone brought up the phrase, "Oh, what a palava!" There's a certain musicalness to that. What a (laughs) palava! And we all had a great time. Can I just Uh, tell you instantly, on the subject of what a palava? Be very quick was in the car the other day. I will be very quick. In the sure? car the other day, all singing along to um, uh, Copacabana, which is, you know, Copacabana is yeah. ready. You all have to sing, sing along. And I had never realised that during the instrumental break, you know when it goes, Copa, Copacabana. Yeah. Da, 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 then the last one, they go, have a banana. Never realised that before. They actually say, have a banana in the middle of uh, Copacabana. It was a good show, but it's Barry Manilow-themed anecdote. Thank you. Anyway, Anyway, here they are. having a What a palava. palava. And we all had a great time pronouncing it in different English accents, using various intonation patterns and generally getting all cockney about things. The Italian teachers asked us what kind of situation would be deemed a palava. And we all threw in a few contexts and no one could really hit the nail on the head as to what a palava would actually consist of. So we moved on. Don't drink and dialect, guys. And then I listened to your podcast. Today on the plane after said conference and conference dinner, and what can I say? The Saturday links, Saturday, Saturday links. links. <laughs> <laughs> what a palaver indeed! If only I had listened to the uh, to the podcast on Friday, I'd have had the perfect authentic material on which to base a contextual lesson around, and really help those Italians to march around Florence shouting, "What, what a, palaver, a palaver! Blimey, Charlie! Oi, governor!" Alas, I've left Florence, having not been able to work your good bickering selves into lexically challenging discussion. But you're definitely going into my next presentation. There you go. That's very good. Palava being one of the few words in the English language from Portuguese. Is that I didn't know? Is that where it comes from? Yeah, it's sailor. It's sailor chat for uh, sailor chat. It is sailor slang for discussions. Ow. Usually discussions um, trading with foreigners. I'm I'm certain. Yeah. I don't even understand what that. That's what. That's what. It, basically, It's, oh, I see. it's a... sailor slang for uh, trading with the natives. Okay, is that a euphemism or is that? No, no, no. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Okay, fine. Palava. Palava. Means... Yeah. The the Portuguese. But, but is that where palari comes from? Uh, mm. Well, I present an of The palari. Palavaring ring is a thing. So you, you know. I am palavering. Yes. So there must be. I am having discussions with you. So the Portuguese word. Palavering. The Portuguese word palaver must mean discuss, right? Yes, that's right. And so is there a connection between that and palari? Uh, Is that the same as valari? Oh. 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 (laughs) That one. Can I show you this instead? Can't show me anything, it's the radio. No, I can show you this. You've seen this? Everybody sent me this story. Google's AI can now lip-read better than humans after watching hundreds of thousands of hours of TV, right? Yeah, but look at the picture that they've used to illustrate the article. I'm now looking at a picture. It's a picture of me. Yeah, you're not looking... You're looking a little bit... Glum glum. and grumpy. But I don't understand why this is. There's this whole article about the fact that Google has learned to lip-read from watching thousands of hours of television, and for some reason there's a picture of me. Well, not talking for a start. Well, let's face it, Mark. The world is a better place for more pictures of you. Just can't imagine a computer learning to lip read by listening to by watching film reviews. Anyway, anyway now now I've had there's a thing on the internet. that Apparently, I'm responsible for Skynet. Okay, well there isn't now. T- can you can you conclude that uh, entertaining story at the end of this podcast? Yes, as in as in Robo- Terminator, uh, the Terminator, Robocop, as in Terminator. Yeah, you know, it really? came from the future to destroy the past. Okay, because Sky- because we've already gone past the point when Skynet became conscious, didn't we? That yeah. was that happened. That happened, that was a date that we it's passed, thing, in the yeah. same way that we also passed the date of um, uh, Roy Batty's inception from Blake. Fine. Okay, well, look, you, you want can... me to stop now? Yes, I you? do. So you conclude okay, this story. want me to stop quickly. A little bit later. So I can just so just stop talking. Six minutes and 22 seconds past two o'clock. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to the programme. We're here till four o'clock. This is the BBC's flagship film show in all its battleship glory. Look <laughs> no. at our colours flying. <laughs> what? No, no nothing remember a few weeks ago we did a sort of moving statues thing I'm really glad we did that because it was really cool a few weeks ago I think to do it recently would have been naff. but anyway carry on the Mannequin Challenge, I Mannequin Challenge. That's yeah. the thing. That's the money. So, um, what are you going to do later, by the way, in this program? I and mean, I know you're going to be discussing reviews and things. But what are you? Lo- which part of the show are you looking forward to particularly? Well, I'm looking forward to listening to your interview with Robert Zemeckis, which I haven't heard yet, and I'm sure it's going to be fabulous. Uh, um, we're going to review Allied, of course, which is his film, Bad Santa 2, uh, Amra Santa's United Kingdom, and we have already sort of talked about that to some extent. We we already know that you and I both think it's mm-hmm. pretty damn good, and uh, the Wailing, which is a horror movie, which I. I'd love you to see, but I think the chances of you seeing it are fairly small. There's lots of correspondence on the way. Oh, is there? Already. Wow. Uh, and we had loads and loads of questions for Robert Zemeckis and I managed to put a whole bunch of them uh, to him. Three. Well, I think it might be f- might be four. Four, OK. But Yeah, that's pretty good. So three is a bunch, Perfect. but four is a whole bunch. Exactly. Um, so Malcolm has been on uh, with this email here. He's Malcolm Brackett. Oh, blimey, look at all his qualifications. Malcolm Bracket. Malcolm Brackett. Malcolm brackets, yeah. M-Eng, c OK, hang on. m yeah. c Engineering. Yeah, then M-C-I-H-T, L-T-L and F-T-E. Yeah, what I know what we'll yeah, the M-C-I-H-T is. He's a mckitt. Anyway, he's also an F-C-G, which is a frequent cinema goer, Very in good. Edinburgh, mostly with my good friend Ali. Do you remember the guy who carved Hello to Jason Isaacs into the base of a marble wedding dress? Well, anyway, that's apparently him. I need your advice and permission as I may preemptively be about to break the code. Okay, Okay. right. I am due to embark on one of life's great adventures... Is this a plea for help? Does he want us to tell him not to break the code? No, I don't think... No, he's going to break the code whether we... Okay, fine. I think so. I'm due to embark on one of life's great adventures and become a parent for the first time. My wife, Lucy, is 35 weeks pregnant today. Yeah. Whilst I'm thoroughly looking forward to this new season of life, apart from the lack of sleep, nappies, arguments, loss of control and staring into the abyss... I am also aware of the impending loss which lies ahead, namely my transition from FCG, frequent cinema-goer, to an NCG. Mm -hmm. Very good. Which leads me to my dilemma with an N. The generally accepted advice is that Lucy could now pop at any time and I should be on standby, but it might not be for another six weeks. Before I am officially a non-cinema-goer, I would really like to maximise the opportunity of a final month of cinema-going. So my question is, can expectant fathers... Keep their phones on in the cinema in case their pregnant partners go into labour. This is what I am proposing. 1. Phone on silent but sitting on my knees so it flashes if a call comes through. 2. Sit in an aisle seat and as near to the exit as possible. 3. Keep all items of clothing and paraphernalia on my person at all times to avoid faffing if required to leave. Four, when phone flashes, walk swiftly out of the screen, only answering once the door has fully closed behind me. And five, go to the hospital or return to screen as appropriate. Can you introduce an amendment to the code to help expectant fathers who are struggling to let go of their love of cinema? So what should he do? Is there, and this is a genuine question because I don't know this, is there a setting on your phone, on one's phone, that means it can only accept calls from a designated number? No idea, I'm sure. Because if the answer to that is is no, then no, you've got problems because it could be anybody ringing you. If there's a way of setting your phone so that it only does anything at all, if one person, that person instantly either being your wife or a designated driver um, or partner... Yeah, sorry. Yes, yes, that's what I meant. Thank you. Um, if it can, be, I'm, ch- listen, I'm trying, trying to think my way around the complications yes. of this. I'm, there must be a setting. I'm sure everybody's phone does it. I just don't even. I mean, I don't even know how to turn mine on. No, I don't think. The well, the the, the the weight of engineering talent the other side of the glass is enormous. Right, there are many many gigab- gigawatts of power. gigawatts, yeah. gigawatts of well, power. There are lots of fifty thousand watts. watts of power. That's right. You're going by faster miles an hour. Yeah, He's with doctor, your radio on, Doctor Kiss Kiss. Theory. Very good, Radio One. So they're all saying that there isn't. But what an interesting idea! Is it possible? I'm sure someone will explain. Yeah. So here's what we need: we need an the app. people that made the the uh, iWitter app or any other. ka See, thank you. Any other uh, obvious people from whom we can make money to invent an app called. I'm sorry to interrupt your film, but your partner is about to have a child. Yes. Okay. And and the the, the so fa- you have already said doctors can't get emergency paging. Yeah. No. Exactly. No, no. I think we said they could. We cha- I changed the rules. Okay. Yeah, because after you, you after uh, after every doctor working in the UK got in touch to say, "How dare you?" I thought actually it's a good point. So doctors, doctors working, that's fine. But if what it is is that you, we need something. We need something that will just work, but only for that. I mean, maybe here is a possibility. Get, maybe get a phone that only your partner has the number to. But then you'll get spam calls, won't you? Difficult. Anyway, you'll get people ring explain. you to tell you that, you know, that you've won... By the way, Malcolm, who's the M-Eng and C-Eng, the MCIHT is member of the Chartered Institution of Highways and Transportation. Institute, surely? Nope. Institution. I'm just telling you what I'm being told. OK. That's apparently what it is, so that makes him... Super high powered. Wow! Super highway powered. Box office top ten coming up uh, very shortly, and then Robert Smak is after two thirty. But instantly. But thank you for putting so much consideration into the question of whether or not you can have your phone on. In I mean, I think until somebody develops the app, we're going to have to say it's okay. But it's a temporary okay until somebody can well, develop no, you an can app. Just say just wait. Just, just don't I mean, go. Just wait. They've got a limited amount of time because it, he needs he needs to know now. He said that, that his partner. Well, he just has to restrain himself. It's not a matter of him restraining himself, Simon. No, he just doesn't have to go to the films. Oh, I see. From that point of view. I see, I see. I don't think... (laughs) It's not not something that Lucy's going to control, but I think, Malcolm, just control yourself. Now, here's the thing from uh, from Ben. Uh, Now, this is an interesting one. It's a bit of a challenge here for you, Mark, OK? Yes. You won't like the way it starts, though. Oh, dear. To Brad Pitt and Michael Gove. You don't look anything like Michael Gove. Hi, my name is Ben and I'm a moderately intellectual 15-year-old boy with a passion for movies which has urged me to sit up in bed and bother emailing you. See, next week I'll be going under the knife for the 12th time in my 15 monotonous years of life and it appears that this operation is a bit of a big deal open-heart surgery, which can be a tedious affair. And I'm quoting from Ben there. Okay. I'll, be I'll be off school and having to rest for six weeks and TV and podcasts can only take me so far. So I would be grateful if The Good Doctor could give me a list of classic movies that every wannabe film critic needs to see okay. to help me through my long recovery. And when I say... I like this, so he puts it at the end. When I say classics, I don't mean 1920s silent French, French films, but films which normal people would actually enjoy. OK, so that's from Ben. And before you answer him, yeah. another email completely separate but obviously linked from Jane, who's uh, Ben's mum. I think they wrote in completely coincidentally. Oh, wow. Anyway, they've been enjoying the um, reassuring words of recent programmes from you Okay, uh, about everything will be all right. Anyway, so Jane says, we're absolutely sure that it will be, but if Ben could hear you both wish him good luck, I'm sure he will feel fortified uh, and just that little bit more ready. He's been wonderfully brave and teenage matter-of-fact about it all, as teenagers do, but I'm sure he's hiding his worries well. I am at home with him throughout his convalescence and am planning, as mums do, to keep him cosy, smothered and comfortable in front of films. Despite loving the Babadook, I think anything that makes his heart beat too fast may not be suitable in the first instance. OK, okay. So, it's quite, so we're narrowing... OK, it okay, OK, OK. Have you any suggestions that will pass the time for us? Maybe something that needs concentration and focus, as the poor lad ain't going anywhere for quite some time. P.S. Old favourites would be good, A Mary Poppins and Saving Mr Banks double will be fine, but don't tell his mates. OK. So, anyway, so, so that's what Jane wants. Whether that's exactly the same as what Ben wants, I'm not sure. All right. So, well, Ben is saying classics. Jane wants to sit there and watch it. Well, Mary Poppins and uh, Saving Mr. Banks as a Double Bill is, of course, brilliant. Um, I would immediately say Local Hero. You would immediately say Amadeus, I presume. Yes. And then, if we're looking at, I mean, I know he said not, not, I mean, I'm not going back to 1920s, but I'm assuming that you can have black and white films. So, you'd have to have, you know, Casablanca. And probably Third Man, and uh, something more modern, so Pan's Labyrinth, which is well. I think that's a little bit kind of no. But normal people watch Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, but I was also thinking of Mum's stipulation that there shouldn't be anything that makes your heart go a little bit poundy. But I, Pan's Labyrinth isn't a horror film. It's a sort of it's a sort of fantasy. Oh, well, okay. Well, maybe keep Pan's Labyrinth towards the end of the convalescence. Yes. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's a, that's uh, a uh, film this Princess side. Of the Princess first Bride night. would be good. Yeah, Princess Bride is absolutely lovely. Oh, if we're going to do comedy, so in that case, um, uh, something from early 70s, Woody Allen, so Sleeper. Oh, absolutely Young Frankenstein, because that never ceases to be funny, does it? I mean, every time you see Young Frankenstein... it's Laughing is OK, yes? Laughing is... Well, I, I guess so... Young Frankenstein does have a little bit of surgery in there, but anyway... Yeah, but, that's... but yeah, but, but not really. It's, yeah, it's, you know, putting on the Ritz more, isn't it? That's true. That's very good. Um, and, and, actually, you could do a lot worse, though, although this is a terribly cliché choice, you could do a lot worse than watching Citizen Kane, because Citizen Kane is one of those films which, if you haven't seen it yet, you imagine it's going to be a trudge because everyone says it's the greatest movie ever made until... I think the third man is, then took over, but the, but but actually, Citizen Kane is a terrific, is really wonderful movie and really engaging and 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 just and, and me and Orson Welles with uh, the wonderful Zac Efron. Well, I used to be wonderful. He's it's not it's not quite so wonderful. No, no, he's More. gone off the but he'll come back again. He he'll, 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 Solo. No, anyway, so uh, good luck, Ben. I hope everything's going to go fine. I'm sure it's absolutely going to be brilliant. You have some top stuff looking after you and your mum. Uh, I hope all those movies fit. Very well with your convalescence. Let us know yeah. how you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you for the email from both of you. And what they said um, fortified, you feel fortified. Well, I hope I hope that has left you feel, feeling fortified. And thank you very much for writing. Uh, it. Box Office Top Ten. Oh, by yes. the way, this week number ten: Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's fine. Uh, this it was David Roy having not particularly enjoyed the first Reacher feature. <laughs> I was. That's very good. Pleasantly surprised by J R N G B. N.G.B., definitely among the rarest of breeds, the sequel that's better than the original. See also Evil Dead 2 and Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Even if it does include one of the least inspiring lines in action movie history. Which is? Namely, we really need to ditch this car and get back to my email. <laughs> you think yeah I'll just say on that subject of sequels better than the originals Evil Dead 2 is a touchy point because Evil Dead 2 is basically Evil Dead and I do think that Evil Dead is still arguably a better film Godfather 2 yes absolutely but um, in the case of Jack Reed should never go back the problem is it doesn't have Werner Herzog in it and a film which has Werner Herzog in it followed by a film which doesn't have Werner Herzog in it is always going to be slightly lacking Stalks at 9 you know Uh, passable, has been, has been more popular with younger viewers than I thought it would be. The Girl on the Train is at number eight. Which is now in its seventh week uh, in the box office and has done very well, although when you look at what fantastic pieces are uh, I liked it. A lot of very sniffy, critical responses to it when it first came out, but I think that's now settled down generally the, the opinion of punters seems to be that it's a pretty solid adaptation of the book and they're quite happy with the changes Number seven is Nocturnal Animals And it, it's amazing how divisive this has proven. Some people have sent us emails to the show saying that they think that uh, Nocturnal Animals is a is a terrible film and uh, particularly claiming that it's misogyny Which I don't think it is, but I understand the the argument. Um, I've seen it twice, and the two times I've seen it, three times actually now, and the three times that I've seen it, it has appeared different each time, which makes me think that it is actually a richer and deeper film than perhaps one might think the first time round. I know that you had certain reservations about one of the stories within the stories, but I do think. that the argument that it's just surface, it's just style, isn't fair. I think it is more than that, and I th- I think that having seen it three t- three times. A street cat named Bob, is it number six? It's kind of, you know, its heart's in the right place. It's a bit cheesy. It's a little bit um, predictable in terms of its contrivance. It is working from a, a true story with which it takes dramatic liberties that are perhaps not necessary, but it does absolutely have, you know, it's a good-hearted film with, you know, warm uh, central turns. And I like the cat, you know. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a funny cat. Number five is The Accountant. Isn't, isn't it Hillary Clinton says something like this, because you just want to go on the internet and watch funny cat videos all day. Hillary who? Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Dave Carter in Birmingham. Uh, After much deliberation, I finally decided to watch The Accountant this evening and have to say I actually rather enjoyed it, except for one thing. It wasn't the handling of the subject of autism, as I felt that the Christian Wolf character was tastefully written, if not a little clichéd at times. It wasn't the narrative, as I felt that it was well-structured, even if the ending was a little bit too predictable. It wasn't the length of the film. The main problem that I had... Unconscious unconsciously deliberating whether or not to see it is yeah. something that only clicked when the trailer for Live By Night... Was it Live By Night? I can't remember. I looked that up anyway. Another Affleck film came on before the film started. No matter what film he's in and what character he plays, Ben Affleck always looks like Ben Affleck <laughs> playing a character... <laughs> Now, take Michael Fassbender as an example. In the space of four days, I recently watched 12 Years a Slave, Shame, and The Light Between Oceans. And at no point did I think to myself, oh, look, there's Michael Fassbender playing insert character here. This is because, like all great actors, Fassbender has an innate ability to inhabit his characters and make you believe that what you're watching is real. Affleck, on the other hand, always looks like Ben Affleck playing a character. In this case, I spent the film thinking, oh, look, there's Ben Affleck playing an autistic accountant. I can't decide 100% whether it's because he's not that great an actor or whether he just has a distinctive face, but I fear it's mostly the former. What do you think? It, it is a good point that the, the thing that is generally taken as the the mark of a great actor is that every role you see them in, they're so lost in the role that you forget it's it's the actor. That does, of course... um. Conflict with the idea of a star being somebody that people want to go to the cinema to see to do a certain thing. I mean, certainly, in the old Hollywood system, you went to see certain performers do certain things and look a certain way and behave a certain way because that's what you were paying your money for. And I mean, it may be that um, that Ben Affleck is from that kind of older school of because uh, he is, you know, he's he's a movie star. Um, I don't think he's the best actor in the world by any means, but he's. I don't think he's bad either. I think he has been very good in some things. Well, and... Here's the thing. Let me let me ask yeah. you on that because it's an interesting question. Tom Hanks is on the show next week. Yes. Okay. Talking about Sully. Have in you seen which, Sully? No, but I've seen his hair because he when we interviewed him for um, for uh, Bridge of Spies that one he was wearing the Sully hair. He had his big Sully hair. Yeah. That's right. And I'm just wondering whether when you go and see a Tom Hanks film. And Sully is great, and uh, and I think you'll like it. Then we'll see what people think about it. next week, do you ever stop? Do you ever think? Do you ever forget that you're watching Tom Hanks? Well, it comes down to the you know that there are You and I have discussed this before. There is something about Tom Hanks that says honest, trustworthy, reliable. And I can't think off the top of my head. I'm sure there have been. I can't think off the top of my head a performance of by Tom Hanks in which he plays disreputable loathsome creepy and I can't I can't I'm sure there have been some but I can't immediately think what it is and there is something about the idea of Tom Hanks playing Sully this you know probably did this incredible thing um which seems to make perfect sense when you say Tom Hanks as the guy yes. that landed the plane on the Hudson you go we okay. do actually when he comes on we do address the issue about his uh, the voice of reassurance and whether everything will be all right in the end yeah so that'll be on next week's program. okay but it but it's I mean it, it's it's an interesting point. I I don't know that... I mean, certainly, I would think... I I would say that Ben Affleck and Michael Fassbender are in totally different schools and classes of acting. I think Ben Affleck does a certain thing, and he does it very well, whereas Michael Fassbender, I think, could probably turn his hand to almost anything. And... so if you said which one, which one of them is the better actor, I'd say by a million miles it's Michael Fassbender, but I still like watching Ben Affleck movies. Doctor Strange is in number four. Which is fine. I enjoyed it uh, despite having seen it under very annoying circumstances with annoying people turning on their annoying phones in the, in the cinema. But, Trolls is at number three. Which I'd never really understood when they were toys, and i would be honest with you, I didn't really understand it when it was an animated movie, but it seems to have delighted the younger viewers, and again in a way which slightly surprises me. Uh, Arrival is at number two. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. However, it would be very difficult if I went to a cinema and to bump into the assembled Mayo family discussing the end of yes. the film in the foyer. Uh, Adrian in Donegal, the best movie I've ever heard. That's good. I like that. Um, this from Christina Polido Ulvang, government authorized translator, Oslo, Norway, and a long-term listener. I'm a long-standing member of the science... You know, I did know that Oslo was in Norway. I was just... There might be a small village called Oslo in Wisconsin. No, I know, but they always do that in American films, don't they? Paris. France. Long-standing member of the science fiction community. I have worked as a translator for several decades now and I'm currently finishing an interpreting qualification. Based on your excellent review, I decided to celebrate surviving my practical examination last week by going to see Arrival. Unfortunately, it did not live up to my high expectations. For an experienced science fiction reader and film goer like myself, it didn't take long to figure out what was happening. The key issues of this film are quite familiar to us fans, although I can understand that this is not the case for the general public. And even if you accept the basic premise of the film's resolution, it doesn't add up as neatly as it might seem. I suspect that the reason Arrival has been such a success is that a fairly good science fiction story has been told in a way that many people can relate to. It focuses on people and emotions which most people don't realise is something many of us science fiction readers enjoy in our literature. The greatest innovation in the film is that for once the American military is portrayed as not all being warmongers and that scientists are portrayed in a realistic light. So all in all not without its merits but I might have enjoyed it more if it hadn't had such high expectations attached. So that's our fault. Can I just say important. in response to that, I did say in my review that if you're a science fiction fan and particularly if you've ever read any Vonnegut this is a story that you will know and um, and the, actually the skill of the film is that although the material is you know is familiar material, it's familiar material which is done well and I mean certainly anyone who's with, you know, Kilgore Trout and the Trial for Midorians. You know where you are, but That's I... not a lot of people, though. I think it's a huge amount of people. Huge Kurt, amount of huge, Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut is, like, one of the most... Yeah, 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 him, but that specific... What was that last thing you mentioned? Well, Kurt. so Kilgore Trout, who's the science fiction writer that he writes about, who talks about the ideas in Arrival, and the Trial for Midorians, who are the people that Billy oh, Pilgrim well. meets. Um, I think more people know... But what I'm saying is, we did say in the review if you know any of this stuff, which it sounds to me like the letter writer does, of course you're going to be familiar with these, these ideas, but the beauty, the joy, is the way in which these ideas are used, the way in which these ideas are used, you know, for, for, for a dramatic end in a very cinematic way. Um, if, if you knew someone was Swedish, yeah. how would you pronounce their first name if it's, uh, I think it's probably Josephine, but it's J-O-S-E mm-hmm. F-I-N Swedish. I mean, I just end up doing like a Muppets impression okay, of just it, so. Shall I just say... Josephine. Josephine. Yeah. After last week's glowing review uh, and letters about Arrival, <clears throat> we thought it would be an excellent uh, way to take our minds off our troubles as things have indeed been a little shaky here in Christchurch, New Zealand. However, it was not to be. At the very moment of the film's moment, mm-hmm. the thing... Mm-hmm. Uh, we got an aftershock in the cinema. Being very nervous about earthquakes, I had such a rush of adrenaline that for minutes I couldn't focus on anything and, of course, lost the whole plot of who was doing what and why and when and everything. Understandable. My partner came with me and he was so engrossed he didn't notice anything. <laughs> he just assumed the guy next to us was jiggling his leg in excitement. Actually, there's me complaining about somebody having their phone on in the front row and there is somebody managing to continue watching the film after an aftershock. <laughs> and didn't actually run out of the cinema. No, no. no well, <laughs> okay. again, you know... Our the resilience of our listeners continues to astonish and amaze me. The number one movie is, of course, Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Let me just run through some stuff. Can I just say, when you say number one, as far as I can tell from the first week, 15 million. How does that compare with the number two? Uh, so far, the total that Arrival has taken looks like 5 million. So, Lisa in Eltham. I went to the lovely Picturehouse Central for Fantastic Beasts. I was intrigued as to whether I'd enjoy a Potter Universe film without knowing the story beforehand, and in truth, I didn't. Although it was beautiful and fantastical to watch, there was something a little too beastly about Fantastic Beasts. I, I don't mean the creatures. I found it difficult to enjoy a film as the villains were much too adult for a 12A... Um, they were nasty, manipulative, violent and extreme. I found the tone totally at odds with the rest of the frolicking film and it made for some uncomfortable viewing for me. I know kids like a bit of Jeopardy, but I just think there was this was too dark and in the end the magical creatures seemed to become more or less surplus to the story. Did you, do you agree with that about the, the, the villains? I don't, actually. No. no. Okay. I don't think there's anything in this that is any darker than any of the Harry Potter. I mean, Voldemort is about as dark as you can get. He well, is indeed the Dark Lord. And he's got no nose. How does he smell? Awful. Lucy, age 13. Me and my friends went to see Fantastic Beasts, where to find them this Sunday, and we loved it. We're all big Harry Potter fans, so we went in knowing a lot about the franchise. Uh, but knew this wasn't just a Harry Potter sequel featuring a whole new set of characters. Unfortunately for us, we were able to work out within minutes the set of uh, the plot due to this that I can't mention and something else that I can't mention. (laughs) But we loved it nonetheless. It was never boring. Some of the twists caught us out, which kept us very attentive for the entire movie. Uh, Seth, aged 11, just watched Fantastic Beasts Thoroughly enjoyed it The plot was imaginative The beasts were fun but sometimes scary The climax was well thought out It tied the loose ends up perfectly And opens up the possibilities uh, for a sequel Anyway, now I've got past the film review I wanted to ask you a question uh, Is keep calm and witter on a phrase? Uh, it'll, it'll It's almost certainly appearing on a mug soon Or a t-shirt Which will make vast amounts of cash yes. from Yes, good Just been to see Fantastic Beasts at my local multiplex. This is Brett Redmayne. I have to say I loved it. It felt almost homely to be back in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding Universe, which I think is right. Visually, it looks stunning, especially the world within the briefcase, with some great performances from my namesake, though sadly we're not related. Already looking forward to the next instalment. I think the thing about the world within the suitcase is, of all of it, that was the one section that I was slightly... You know, less wowed by because that was the the Narnia bit, and it seemed to sort of exist as a as an annex to the rest of the film. The stuff that I really liked was was New York and that kind of slightly gothic, gloomy uh, sense of the city. And I mean, Dave Yates is a very very competent. It sounds like a damning with faint praise. He's a very talented director who understands how to knit together the physical, which because and so much of that was the set was physical, and the and the supernatural with all the sort of CG effects. And it was good fun. I I mean it's I'm 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 troubled by that comment about the 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 villains being too dark. I think that whenever you get anything that's in the realm of fairy tale and fantasy, you know, villains in those areas are you know, I mean think of Snow White. Think of this this the scariest screen presences of all time in Snow White. That surely that goes with it. I mean, think of Hansel and Gretel. Think of you know when you look at a film like The Witch, which is drawing on all those Grimm's fairy tales, which which are you know terrifying villains. Surely, yes, I, I imagine it's the whole Salem two, uh, second Salem strand that they're looking at in the kind of the, in the areas that they're disturbed by. I imagine. No, oh, okay, but but I, that's what I mean. I I. I it's an interesting point of view, and thank you for expressing it as, as, as eloquently as you have. It's not something that troubled me, and incidentally, I think that Samantha Morton, as the leader of the Second Salemers, is just brilliant. And if I have a regret about the film, I'd like to have had more of Samantha Morton in it. So Robert Zemeckis uh, is on the way to talk about Allied. I just, I got a, I know I shouldn't have my phone on, but it, it, it coincidentally was on, and I got a coincidentally t- was on. Yeah, yeah, right. I got a text from someone I don't know who it's from. Okay, go on. What does it say? But someone who knows my phone number. Okay. The big Brother. Says, by the way, about expectant dads, because we had a thing about, you know, what do you, is it possible to take your phone into the cinema if your wife is about to give birth? And I said, is there such thing as as a, as a setting, which they, I thought there must be, which will only receive calls from one number? And? I just want to... Do you think it's GCHQ? I think it's almost certainly that, you know, that you're being watched by the special... Anyway... Branch. Anonymous contributor says, it exists, you lovely Luddites. That sounds like Jason, you see. I'm just wondering. Oh, OK, fine, fine, fine. Uh, uh, yes, a, a, certain, does sound Jason, a certain it? well-known manufacturer of phones, do not disturb function, means only your favourites can call you, make your wife your, your only, only favourite. And therefore, if the phone rings, yeah. it's going to be her. OK, that's very good. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. Nice. And that probably is Jason. You're right, the phrase lovely Luddites does sound like him. Uh, Charles says the solution is obvious. If he takes his wife with him to the cinema, then he won't need to receive a phone. Bob's your uncle. Very good. Go, Um, John Layton. Irregular cinema goer, following two children, first time contacting you, but in relation to the proposed amendment to the code, can I suggest that the expectant RCG regular cinema goer enables the Do Not Disturb mode? They or so he's done that as well. So, John, thank you very much. If there is an app, we've uh, we just tweeted our little artwork for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt your film, but your partner is having, having a, a baby, baby. <laughs> holding that up to the cameras in case anyone is uh, just following the live stream. And thanks for. Uh, we'll do some more on this later. But also, does that like, come from the Iwitter people, or is that? Uh, that came from producer Simon. Oh, well done! Last, That's very just, good. That's very good. He's the first. He's just woken up. He is contributed something. He's great. Uh, and movies for Ben and his mum. Uh, this is at the start of the show. Ben and Jane. Ben is fifteen. He's about to have open heart surgery, and they, he wants some movies. Mum wants some movies so that they can watch together for the recuperation. Wendy Smith, uh, I came in late, but you're discussing films for Ben uh, going through a long post-operative recovery. Um, and I know you mentioned Mary Poppins. My 11-year-old would watch that. And can I also suggest Howl's Moving Castle, The oh, yes. Borrowers, yeah. Totoro and Spirited Away. Yeah. Uh, away I mean, the, of... the entire Ghibli back catalogue actually will stand you in very good stead. Rhubarb with Ray Milland or Harvey with Jimmy Stewart uh, yeah. and Kind Hearts and Coronets and the Lavender yeah. Hill Mob from Ealing Studios with the wonderful Alec Guinness. Well, you love Kind Hearts yeah. and Coronets, don't you? Yeah, very funny. Uh, and W. David Lichty says, uh, keeping Ben and his mother in mind... The life and death of Colonel Blimp. Singing yeah, which is in brilliant. Any Powell and Pressburger okay, singing, singing in, in the rain. The, rain, the, the big joy, daddy of musicals, color and touch of film history. Yeah. City of God is neither horrific nor gloomy. Uh, crimes and misdemeanors. If you're going to discuss Woody Allen, Seven Samurai is a thoroughly mm, no, actually, engaging film. Mm, I'm, uh, crimes and misdemeanors is is one of. I mean, it's good, but it's that. I mean, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be better to have one of the early funny ones? Seven Samurai, thoroughly engaging, yeah, as is uh, everything Kurosawa made in the fifties. Uh, And then, Mark, will There Will Be Blood raise the heart rate too much? Yes, I think it will, not least because of just the score. I mean, that Johnny Greenwood score in in the opening section in which there's almost no dialogue and you're not sure what's going on and there's that extraordinary Johnny Greenwood piece of music going on in the background that's, you know, percussive. And, uh, yes, I mean, it really... I mean, I was very on edge watching that both times. Benedict Keeler from one cinephile named Ben to another... Um, thank you, Ben. In Winchester, there are two classics on BBC iPlayer yeah. available to stream or download: Max Ophel's *Letter from an Unknown Woman* and yeah, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock's *Suspicion*. Suspicion. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, I mean, any 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 Hitchcock at all, to be honest. A little bit. Can I just say you mentioned uh, *Singing in the Rain*. The funny, the funniest joke in Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is one of my favourite films. I love Singing in the Rain. Is when they're doing the elocution lessons and she's trying to get to, to go. I and I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. I can't stand him. I can't stand him. Can't. 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 And then, which is sort of referred to in that Hail Caesar thing about with what the what's what's the, the, simple? Simple? And the gag is that when she finally gets to do the line, they watching it in the cinema, and she said, and she does the line. and She says, and I can't stand him. Very good. <laughs> Every time I think about that. I'm going to go and watch it just so I can join in your hilarity. <laughs> All right, so it's 17 minutes to three o'clock. Uh, let's talk about Allied, the new movie directed by Robert Zemeckis. You'll hear from Robert in just a moment. Here's a clip from the film. My wife is not a spy. If she is, we need to keep her in place for 72 hours so that we can identify her handler and clean out the rest of her circuit.
1: No. If it is proven that your wife is a spy, routine procedures in cases of intimate betrayal will apply. You will execute her with your own hand, and if we discover that you are an accomplice in any way, you will be hanged for high treason wing commander Vatan, do you understand?
0: And that's a clip from Allied. I'm delighted to say that its director, Robert Zemeckis, uh, is, is with us on the program. Robert, hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon, how are you? I'm very good, how are you, sir? Very good. It's a, a, a pleasure and an honor to have you on the program. We've talked about your movies for so many years, uh, so to finally have you on is terrific. Tell us about Allied, tell us about this story. How did you get involved?
1: Um, I read the screenplay, of a very early draft of the screenplay, Stephen Knight's screenplay, and um, I was uh, attracted to it immediately. I thought it had beautifully drawn characters and uh, certainly um, dramatic dilemmas that the, the characters are thrust into, which kept me turning the pages. And so anytime that happens, I take a serious interest in the project.
0: And briefly, and without spoiling anything, obviously, what, are, what is the, the main story that, we're, that you're telling
1: here? It's a story about intimate betrayal. Obviously, it's got very high stakes because of the backdrop of World War II and the fact that these characters are uh, SOE agents and they're you know, in that kind of world of uh, spies. But the actual theme, the glue, the emotional core of what these characters go through, I think, is a universal theme. This idea that, you know, as a person I'm really close to, I may not know exactly who they are. Or what you know, and and I think no matter what the the, the setting for that, it's something that uh, people who are in any type of relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a work relationship or friendship, can identify with. Uh,
0: the SOE agents that you're talking about, Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard, just to get this it, absolutely right. She, she's she's French. Brad has a bad Parisian accent mm-hmm. in your film because he has a because he has a, he's from Quebec, so he has a good Quebecois. Right. Accent was that actually quite difficult for Brad? I mean, I don't know how
1: good his French is, but is, is that quite a difficult? Oh, it's very thing, difficult. Well, well right. I, I, well, listen, I don't know how to speak French at all, and I've worked with. Uh, this is actually, uh, ironically, the second film that I've done where I've had to, do, I've had to do this in a row. It's very complicated f- to learn correct French, and but Brad was very committed and he uh, really wanted to do it and he worked very hard and I mean he loves the language, he loves France. I mean he has a place in in France uh, where a uh, house in France. So he worked very hard on it now you know you know he he also had um, Marianne who was happy to coach him, who is a linguistic genius, you know she can do. Anything perfectly, so he had a very how would I say this strict mentor, if you will, who was really watching him very closely and you know making sure that he did it exactly how it should be.
0: Because the the opening stages of the movie, we see him arriving on a parachute. Mm-hmm. It's impossibly glamorous this uh, this opening sequence in Casablanca, and their opening exchanges are in French. And I suppose right at that beginning we everyone has to believe that they are. A couple, and that their French is perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's how it has to be presented. It's kind of like, okay, well, who are these people? And now, and now they're pretending to be a couple. And now they're not a couple. And now that we're seeing that they're on a mission together, and the whole thing is very well crafted to keep you interested in where you know you're. You know, when you're reading a screenplay like this, you're sitting there asking yourself, "Where's this story going?" Mm-hmm. This is very fascinating. I hope it does feel like a classic Hollywood studio movie, and it is impossibly glamorous Mm -hmm.
0: is that is that fair
1: yeah I guess so I mean I never you know I just again I you know I I, it it all came from the it all came from the page it all came from the way it was written it was written in a in a way that evoked these images and evoked this feeling and evoked this uh, world that these people uh, move in and it it all kind of grew from that and I think that every department that kind of felt that when they were building the, the costumes or the or the sets or whatever and it kind of just kind of Came together that way. When
0: did you realize that you had uh, two stars with fantastic chemistry in between them?
1: Because um, you can't make that happen. No, and, in, and the only you know, I was uh, sitting at the rehearsal table with these two actors together for three weeks, and and had no idea until the first time we did. I guess it was on our second or third day of um, working with the two of them in a very quiet scene mm-hmm. where. I could see in the monitor that they had magnificent on-screen chemistry. And you don't know until that moment. I mean, you can't tell by looking at two people in real life, if you will. It's something that happens in two dimensions. It's something that happens once they are recorded with a lens. And it's something that you're either fortunate enough to have or or not. And
0: I wonder if all the gossip which spins out from that is actually... A product of the movie that you've created because when you see that kind of chemistry we we're, we're along for the ride yeah
1: because you you know because it's so uh, you, you can't define it and it's so powerful that you can only try to project on it what you know and of course that's it's you know we have these terms, you know you've heard the, this term the magic of the movies and this is one of the magic things that happen in movies is this 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 thing we call on-screen chemistry between two actors which it's just something that happens? Yeah. And
0: your sandstorm scene—if you didn't have any chemistry, that would have been a difficult scene. Oh yeah, that That—that's you. Know,
1: that, that's, you're, you're either yeah, that's you either have it or you don't. It
0: doesn't feel well, when people come out of it, they won't be saying that's an effects-heavy movie. Everyone knows you've always been at the cutting edge of, edge of technology, and you like your effects. But I imagine recreating London was an interesting
1: challenge—wartime London. Oh yeah, because you know very little of it is around anymore. So, uh, you have to you we know, always so we used, you know, extensive use of digital what we call set extensions to create the period and and create the sort of backdrop of what was going on in World War II. World War II does seem to be,
0: I mean, maybe more than any other period in history, an endless source of fascination for filmmakers. Mm. Even when you think you've seen everything, there's another story because I think this was inspired by a true story. So, we
1: haven't seen everything. Yeah, well, I have a theory about that. I have a theory about World War II. I have a theory, I have a, it, it, well, first of all, it was an incredibly dramatic time. I mean, you know, the whole world was at war, and the stakes couldn't have been higher, and, you know, everything was at stake. That's number one. But number two is it's interesting because the way people lived during the 1940s isn't really that different than the way we live now. A lot of things have changed, but we still sort of— our transportation is similar, our communication is somewhat similar, you know, our, you know, the things that we did for recreation, the way we lived. So we can go back into the past, but not the distant past, which makes it impossible to identify with. And so having this incredibly dramatic event in human history happen at a time which is still similar to what we have now, I think makes it A lot of uh, stories that are still relevant can be set.
0: Amy Adams was on the show a few weeks back uh, talking about Arrival, which is a terrific movie. And I said to her in the interview, it reminded me of Contact, Mm -hmm. that there was something about... I mean, I think she reminds me of Jodie Foster a little anyway, but there was something about that movie that reminded me of Contact. I don't know if you've seen uh, Arrival. I haven't yet. but 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 I wonder if it's ready to be reappraised. Well, why not? Time to get that. You, well, okay. <laughs> well, I'm now recommending Robert Zemeckis that you go and see Arrival because I think you'll go and see it and
1: go, hmm. Yeah, well, I think I'll probably enjoy it. I hear it's very good. Absolutely and I, and right. I'm a big fan of, of Amy Adams. I think she's fantastic. You know, so you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it.
0: And we've got some listeners' questions. Uh, we asked on our website questions question for Robert Zemeckis. Most of them were all about Biff Tannen. Okay. So, uh, which is worth saying again: Back to the Future, Biff Tannen—that's originally Donald Trump, yes.
1: Wow, well, that's what you—you you know, I mean, Bob Gale. I think Bob Gale said somewhere in in a uh, interview somewhere that it was based on Donald Trump, and it was—and and, and it's true because <laughs> that was sort of the Donald Trump time when he was building, you know, these lavish casinos in Atlantic City and putting his name on them, big gold letters and things like that. Yeah, that's a
0: fairly astonishing spot, though, from your writer.
1: Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's, you know, and, 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 and of course, when you know, Biff in the sequel, he kind of wore his hair that way, too.
0: Has it, do, you, do you know whether Donald Trump has commented about that? Or? I don't know. I don't know.
1: You might I get haven't. a kind of Hamilton treatment. You know. I might. You never know.
0: And, and, and uh, Graham Laws uh, on this, he said in Back to the Future 2, you predicted that the Cubs would
1: win the World Series. Yes, but we were a year off. But I think that had to do with something about the the, the space-time continuum. I'm not quite sure that the world, uh, the Earth, turns exactly at the speed that we might think. So I think we were actually right.
0: Sean Elstob, if you were making Castaway now, would you go the CGI route and perhaps with a combination of motion capture or body replacement techniques like Matt Damon in The
1: Martian? Or would you still do it live and in camera and have Tom Hanks' weight loss be real? you know i my feeling about these things are you know i would um, i would i would use the tools that i have at the time so the movie would look different and i don't know what to say about the weight loss thing we might you know we might or we might not i the thing that i i think are interesting about films is that that they're actually the films themselves are historical documents and the fact that that movie was made with everything inside the camera makes that film unique to what the time to the time that it was made in and so I don't really know how to answer that question. I would use, I guess the answer would be I would use every tool at my disposal if I were making a movie like that now.
0: Another question from our Facebook page from Johnny Vaughan. Was the omission of music score, we're on the same movie here, in the island section of Castaway deliberately done to create a feeling of isolation? Or have I mistakenly been teaching that to my film students? I've been dying to ask this question for years. Please tell me it wasn't just an accident, Mr. Zemeckis.
1: No, it was done completely by design, and he's 100% correct, and he can continue to tell that to his students. Boom. Gavin
0: Gibson, do you see yourself getting back into science fiction anytime soon? I'm sure fans of Contact and the Back to the Future trilogy, like myself, would love to see you back in the director's chair of a science fiction masterpiece.
1: Um, you know, again, I have no, I don't put any genre agenda on myself. I'm attracted to whatever is a good story or a good screenplay or a good idea that comes my way. And if a um, compelling science fiction story comes my way, I'd be more than happy to do it. What are you working on next? I'm doing a movie with Steve Carell, which is, you know, I can only describe it as a very strange movie. It's called The Women of Marwin, and it's based on the, there's a documentary called Marwin Call. It's a very, very complicated movie, but it's, um, it's going to have uh, humor, action, pathos, suspense, everything in it.
0: Robert Zemeckis, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you. you very much for your I time. I
1: appreciate it. Thank
0: you. Uh, Robert Zemeckis talking Allied, which is uh, one of the big movies out this week. I don't think Brad Pitt, and Marion Cotillard may, were making themselves available to uh, to promote this film, so the burden for promoting it has fallen almost entirely on the director. But we've never well, had fine. We love never director. had Robert Zemeckis on the, no, and, which is yeah. astonishing. Actually. And so many people wanted to ask him lots of questions, and, lo- and you know, yeah. just the Back to the Future trilogy alone is kind of enough. And contact, uh, uh, I think. yeah, uh, you know, as a calling, and Forrest Gump, you yeah. know, that's a pretty good calling card anyway. <laughs> but I'm not not quite convinced Allied is going to be up there with with his best. No, it isn't. And by quite some distance. I mean, here's the problems. To begin with, it is very hard not to smirk at any movie which requires an actor to deliver a line, which is, I've loved you since Casablanca, particularly when the film has made such a big play of actually trying, you know, I mean, I know it's a Casablanca setting, but it's kind of referring back to Casablanca in such a way. And there there is an awful lot about Allied that risks... Um, you know, audience smirkery. And they're, right from the very beginning, you, know, you sort of rather diplomatically said, you know, that we see them, we meet these two people, they're, um, you know, special operations, executive agents there in and they're incredibly glamorous. They're unbelievably good yeah. looking. And they're in these settings that are unbelievably glamorous, unbelievably good looking. And then you said to him, you agree? And he went, well, you know, because what's inherent in that was a kind of criticism, which is that the whole thing looks... A little bit cheesy and a little bit like a movie. I mean, what's peculiar is he said in that interview, you "Know it's inspired by a true story," and yet, frankly, none of this ever rings true. No matter what the inspiration may be, it absolutely rings like a like a complete work of, of confection. And. Also in that interview he said, you know, well it's a universal theme. I mean it's only a universal theme in as much as it's like those old universal movies from the nineteen forties, which it's trying to ape. I mean it, I, you do feel as though there's an original with Dickie Attenborough and Googie Withers somewhere it, there, <laughs> that you've missed. <laughs> did I did I miss that? No, 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 no. This is this is brand this is brand new. Well, because the, the the really weird thing is that um I mean all the way through when it's it's kind of making these references to Casablanca. The thing that it reminded me of was there's this Sidney Pollack from, I think it's 1990, called Havana, which is Robert Redford and Lena Olin, which is basically a movie which is trying to be Casablanca but being in Havana. And I was watching this, I kept thinking, this isn't even not Casablanca, it's not even Havana, despite the fact that Brad Pitt appears to be morphing into a younger Robert Redford. Not a bad thing. No, not a bad thing. But on the other hand, it's like you're sort of too removed uh, from the original. So... In terms of you know, you said there's an incredible chemistry between Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard on screen. I, I disagree. Actually, one of the problems that I had with it was, it's not just that I didn't believe in their characters as anything other than movie stars. I didn't believe in their relationship so much so that I felt that the film was having to construct. I mean, there is there is a scene which which is just the cheeseometer goes up to 110, which is the swirly. You know the swirly romance in in the sandstorm scene, in which oh, yes. in which the sand is swirling and the car is swirling and the camera is swirling, and you just feel like Robert's making you just make everything swirl. I need some stuff. I need some tension between them. Just swirl and throw some sand at them. It's not a film in which understatement is not a film in which you went. I know. Let's let's really soft pedal this. But it really felt like the film having to sort of you know fill in those gaps. The thing that's peculiar is that throughout his career. Zemeckis has been a, a very nimble filmmaker. I mean, when he was talking there about going between different genres, which he absolutely has done, he's done science fiction, he's done comedy, he's, you know, he's done... And in every single one, he's he's proved himself malleable and mercurial, and he's somebody who very early on understood how to utilise special effects right from the feather falling down in Forrest Gump at the beginning. I remember watching, like, how they, oh, it's a special effect, and I didn't realise it was a special effect. This, however, feels... Heavy on its feet, it feels wooden. It feels clunky. It feels like a film which is trying to to sort of ape the charm of films from a lost age that Holly that you know Hollywood glamour that you're talking about, but doing it in a way which feels terribly sort of. Awkward and without natural swing to it. There are also some real scenery chewing from the supporting cast. Some absolutely, you know, just excuse me, hand me the side of that desk. So whilst even in that clip you played, so whilst I'm tearing you off a strip, I may, <laughs> you know, because this is the character that I am. And the the the, the, the I don't get the the medical procedure. Can we say that? a <laughs> yeah. <The> wartime medical <laughs> yes. procedure. Yeah. At that point, you go, this is yeah. This is this is you've you've gone ridiculous. into the realms of the of the silly. So I mean, it, it's not without a certain amount of charm. But would you like cheese with that, sir? Cheese and a glass of cheap champagne. I think. <laughs> it does have a certain... The cheap champagne served by Sailor, the seventies pop group. <laughs> Yeah, that's very a good. I glass like that. Of champagne. Something we ne- maybe need to add to the playlist a little bit later. Uh, and the text, the mystery text that I got on my phone, which I thought was probably from Jason, just because of the way he took us to task. Yes, and that's exactly it was. right. What was lovely was that you recognised that from the from the phraseology. <laughs> that's right. So he, he says, "Yeah, sorry, uh, I'm calling from a different phone. I emailed. I emailed you and President Nixon." He says. <laughs> Uh, to say it's Thanks, five, 5 to 8 in the morning here in Winnipeg and I was trying to get to sleep after a gruelling night shoot even though I knew you were about to go on live in London. I fancied tuning in. I lay in bed with headphones on listening to a sleep hypnosis track on YouTube and it opened with a plinkety-plonkety massage music and slow-motion rumbling Australian voice saying... <laughs> when you wonder how do i go to sleep the answer is quite simple you just <laughs> <go to laughs> sleep. so i got up said jason anyway so so if, if jason if you are in winnipeg can i suggest that you immediately go to whichever you know online resource and download my winnipeg the uh, guy madden film which is a, a wonderful film to watch but you have to watch it if you're in winnipeg yeah so you have to do that jason but anyway thanks yeah, for jason. Thanks. yeah, <laughs> he he went, yeah it, jason yeah you went all a bit snarky then you just like yeah jason yeah, my Winnipeg. Watch helping, it now. Helping yourself to the mini bar and talking to your showbiz friends. I don't think Jason drinks, does he? No, he, he doesn't. He's, well, you know, there's peanuts. Am I right in thinking that he doesn't? He doesn't. Because no, no, I, I have so. it in my head that he doesn't. He has the physique of someone who doesn't. Yeah, no, that's probably. Maybe right, Morris, he yes. doesn't. I think he, I think he looks at the mini bar and he snorts yes. at it unless he just takes a packet of crisps. Well, I have the physique of a man who enjoys a couple of pints. By the way, do, you know when I said. Dave Norris. Oslo, Norway. And you, and you said, yeah. yes, I do know that Oslo comes from Norway. And then yeah. I just said, oh, well, in, in case there's Oslo, Wisconsin. There is. And it turns out there is the, <laughs> a number of people say there
1: actually, there actually is, is
0: an Oslo I'm not even in Wisconsin. That's just brilliant. is amazing? Fantastic. Uh, Anthony, uh, on this email, I've been looking forward to your review of Allied, um, which stars my front door. Filming took place last year on our street and the meticulous period rec- uh, recreation included the set dressing of our frontage. In fact, I had the honour of walking past Brad whilst taking out my rubbish, <laughs> which not many people can say. Oh, I'm just, the, I'm just doing the research. Oh, hello, Brad. How are you? Yeah. I hope it isn't a metaphor for the picture. Uh, but my friend was told off by the AD for hanging out of her window and papping Mr Pitt. Okay. There was a time when Brad Pitt was... If Brad Pitt's in your garden around your rubbish, you're going to take I a I know a story about Brad Pitt being in somebody's garden around their rubbish. A friend of mine who is a, a rather brilliant uh, accent coach um, was helping Brad Pitt with, with his accent on a film that he was uh, making in Belfast, and he was indeed uh, in their house, hanging in the garden uh, around... The and apparently people would just walk past, and it, it, because because they didn't know it was Brad Pitt, they simply didn't know it was Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt was... Literally in their back garden hanging around by the rubbish bins and people just thought, oh, it's a bloke hanging around by the rubbish bins. Anyway. He's a bin man, really. He's a bin man. He could do that. Uh, Dave Carter in Birmingham saw a preview screening of Allied this week. I have to say I was left feeling rather perplexed. What a missed opportunity. The premise is a great one and could have been an incredibly tense and emotionally challenging film. However, it was not. Don't get me wrong, it looked great, and there were a couple of great set pieces, but overall I didn't really feel for the characters as much as I wanted to. Maybe my expectations were too high. I went along remembering that Zemeckis delivered Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, forgetting he also delivered The Polar Express. And here he delivered a bit of a wartime film-by-numbers exercise, which is about as passionate as the aforementioned Christmas Snorefest. Mm. I went along remembering Pitt... Uh, delivered Tyler Durden forgetting he also delivered Achilles and his emotional (laughs) range in Allied matched that one in Troy more one and a half dimensional than three I think that Cotillard was the only one not to disappoint and while she didn't match her magnificent performance in Rust and Bone it was probably enough along with the beautiful costumes and occasional set pieces to keep me interested until the end such a shame I was really looking forward to this too Top movie Triv when uh, Brad Pitt was uh, acting as Achilles which part of himself did he injure? Okay, I'm going to avoid the obvious and say his bottom. No, you should have gone for the obvious. He did indeed lose several days of filming because he'd injured his Achilles tendon. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Janet Baldwin in Christchurch, New Zealand. Hello to both uh, you and Jason Isaacs, LTL and Colonial Commoner. The the other half and I were lucky enough to attend a preview of uh, Allied at the very comfortable cinema in the Northland Shopping Centre in Christchurch. Happy to report... It was a well-behaved audience, they all behaved and they respected the code. Regarding the film, it seemed to be quite a slow start to the story which ultimately turned out to be a bit on the light side <laughs> with a not a lot of race. substance. The performance of Marion Cotillard was a highlight in her role as a spy. It was a pleasant evening out to take one's minds off the huge amount of damage that has resulted from the recent earthquakes in both South and North Islands in the last 10 days. Special shout-out to fellow Wittetainees who've been affected by this disruption to their lives. Just saying, keep on saying everything will be all right and everything will, will be, be all right. right, and you know the rest. Janet Baldwin in Christchurch. Uh, thank you very much indeed. So that's Allied. Uh, more correspondents welcome, of course, if you've seen that. Mayo at bbc.co.uk. 12 minutes past three. Amara Santi on the show last week last week David Yellowo on the show about a month ago so yeah, it does much. feel as though we've been talking about a United Kingdom... It does. For quite a while, but anyway... No, you know, no, But right rightly so. So, so United yeah. Kingdom, which is the new movie by Amra Santy based on a true story script by Guy Hibbert, um, about the relationship between Ruth Williams and Soretzi Karma, who met in London in the 1940s. He was uh, waiting to be a leader in Bechuanaland land. They decided to get married. This created an enormous amount of political havoc, with the British government uh, up in arms about it, because it was going to annoy the, the South Africans, upon whom they were dependent for gold and uranium. Uh, meanwhile, Soretzi's uncle... In uh, Botswana land, now Botswana, uh, was very, very unhappy about the marriage. So basically, the whole thing was happening amidst a political turmoil that threatened to tear the couple apart. And what the film does is tell the story of their relationship amidst that turmoil in a way which, for me, absolutely embodies what Amra Santi does best, mixing the personal and the political. Here is a scene from very early on in the film in which they have been out on a date together and he is about to reveal to her what his, you know, what his true identity is to stop here. My father, he wouldn't approve. I'm just two streets away. Can we do this again? I mean, meet. Is that too forward of me? No. What? Queen Victoria, the man who negotiated for her protection of Bechwana land. He was my grandfather, a king. I am his heir. For more than 20 years, my uncle has been on the throne as regent, preparing me to rule. My education is now complete, and it is time for me to return. Oh, I see thank you thank you for explaining not simply disappearing I quite understand i have had a wonderful evening
1: no i i i
0: don't think you do understand I, I don't know what happened tonight but i do know that i would hate to walk away from you here in this moment knowing that i wouldn't see you again so i've now seen the film more than once in fact i've seen the film uh three times and uh I like it very much. And there are a number of things I like about it. The first is uh, Amra Sanzi is terrific with her cast. Obviously, she cut her teeth uh, as an actor. She was on Grange Hill, you know, way, way back. And so she obviously knows how to get great performances out of her cast. I mean, the film is very well cast itself. I mean, David Yellow is absolutely terrific. Rosamund Pike does a great job of embodying the character of Ruth, Ruth Williams. But she knows how to get good performances from her cast. The second thing is that um, when you uh, interviewed her, you referred to the fact that Peter Bradshaw and The Guardian had said this was the kind of film that Richard Attenborough would have liked and perhaps made, and she then also said, well, yeah, obviously, you know, very flattered because of Attenborough and Lean being kind of, you know, guiding lights. And what the film does have is it has that, you know, lovely epic sweep that you're... That the conflict between you know an int- entrenched institutions and you know, uh, and something new, the future is being played out as a contrast between fusty interiors, excellent production designed by Simon Bowles again, and sweeping exteriors. so you get that cinematic sense it 's also an important story because it 's particularly at a moment you know, in the divisive times in which we live, a story which talks about not just love triumphing, but actually, you know, racial boundaries being broken down and uh, people standing up against injustice and people, you know, following their lights and a story which has a progress towards something which is actually positive, I think is really, really important. The interesting thing is that I think the thing I didn't get about the United Kingdom the very first time I saw it um when I saw it in, I think it was just a couple of people in the screening room, We're seeing it the second time with a packed house, which just what a terrifically crowd-pleasing film it is. And this really impressed me because I think that in terms of, you know, making the personal political and making the political personal, what you need to do, Anne Santi said on the show last week, that she wanted to make beautiful films that meant something. And if you look at something like Bell, that's exactly what it is, you know, you can be... Absolutely enraptured by the, you know, the wonderful sets, the terrific performances, the, you know, fantastic interplay between these characters. And again, it's a moment of flux in history, which is, she said that she's very, very interested in that, and obviously with her next project as well, which sounds absolutely fascinating. But. Those movies can only work in the way they do if they will work with a large audience. And I sat in an audience with that film who were laughing at the jokes, who were swooning at the romance, who were gasping at moments of revelation, who were literally, literally cheering during the moments of triumph. And I think that we often forget just what an achievement it is to make a film that has an important story and that is in itself, you know, culturally important, but that a film that wins an audience over. And I think that occasionally, when I have any criticism, I think occasionally some of the dialogue is a little bit on the nose, but it's... The, the, Anna handles the material so well that actually that never becomes a problem. It's a film that is really, really well played, clearly made with great affection and love. It was interesting hearing her interview with you last week in which she was talking about filming boswana and the, the heat... She was talking about the heat they were working in, these staggering temperatures. Yeah, it was 50 degrees or something like that. And yet that. you never get the sense watching it that it's a film made under um oppressive circumstances. I mean, it seems to be, you know, it's a film which is, which is, you know, very... I was comparing it to Robert Zemeckis. You know, I was saying the weird thing about Zemeckis' filmmaking is in the past he's been agile, he's been nimble, he's been malleable... And none of those things seem to be true of allied, and all of those things seem to be true of a United Kingdom. So it won me, it won me over wholeheartedly. And I think we, we, again, I, I come back to this thing that what Amma Asante manages to do is to engage you on a personal level, is to tell stories that work personally, that seem universal even though they are about specifics, and it's in the details of the specifics that you know that the universality comes out. She's. A generous filmmaker, and you can see that the actors like working with her. You can tell that people are raising their game. I love the score. I like the slightly old-fashioned feeling of it. And I say that, again, in comparison to Allied, which felt old-fashioned as in fusty and and uh, and kind of the same period, certainly within a couple of years, yeah, well, this is immediately post war and obviously the um Brad Pitt and Marianne Cotillard is right in the right in the middle of the war and um and is and is nonsense and this isn't nonsense, and I think this will appeal to a wide audience, and I really hope it does well and and Tony Ben's in it, yeah, exactly, well, not literally not the Tony Ben yeah, a character yeah. playing Tony Ben cool um, sue Quinn yep um Dear Dr. Karma and Dr. Williams. Very good. I lived in Botswana between 89 and 97, initially working on a UN-funded project and then as a private citizen. During the latter half of my stay, I lived about 15 kilometres out of Gaborone, the capital, and often used to bump into Ruth Karma whilst doing my shopping in the local supermarket. (laughs) Wow. In Pakalani. Wow. She lived a few kilometres up the road in a barely developed area called Ruretsi, You can see what they did there. And uh, she could not have looked more quintessentially English, white-haired, slim, elegant and regal. She lived a quiet life and remained a revered and respected elder in a country where age is respected beyond almost anything else until her death in 2002. Having had wonderful and life-changing experiences in Botswana and having met all four of the Karma children at various times, I've been very excited about the new film and, in particular, Rosamund Pike's casting as Lady Karma. Thank you, Amma Asante, for retelling this wonderful love story which has so many positive messages which resonate in these troubled times. Absolutely. Love the show, Steve. Hello Absol- Absolutely, absolutely. Sue, who lives not a million miles away from Mark, and then she gives a geographical location, which I'm not going to mention. OK, well, you, can, you can tell me afterwards. OK, OK. So thank you for that, Matt. uh, Assumption on this email. I really wanted this film to succeed having much enjoyed Simon's interview with David Oyelowo last month uh, and being a big fan of Rosamund Pike's recent work. However, when I left the cinema my reaction was one of disappointment. I think my issue was for a film that deals with the weighty issues of race relations in the 1950s, the tensions between ruling colonial powers and those they rule, mineral rights and exploitation and the oppressive public view of mixed race marriages, it felt rather slight, sadly rather superficial rarely telling a story that got beyond the surface. The overly simple Simplistic characterizations here let, let down a promising film. The central relationship that must anchor the film is that between a yellow-eyed and Pike's Ruth Williams. Yes, is for all their on-screen chemistry, underdeveloped and underexplored. Oh, I disagree. What in particular draws these two characters into their whirlwind romance in London beyond enjoying dancing and jazz? It's an extraordinary story, particularly for Pike's character, and as she has to leave her home, her job and possibly her ties with the family to lead a new life in Botswana land, yet I never truly got the sense of her as a person I would have been more than happy for the film to have been 20 minutes longer and for the audience to have gained a greater insight into this relationship a historic one with huge implications for the history of the nation that came to be Botswana. Can I, sorry, can I answer that question? Uh, sorry, yeah, finish, finish, finish the email then yeah. you can answer that. Sorry, yeah. That said, there are real moments of magic, such as the tremendously moving speech Yellow gives to the meeting of his tribe. However, these moments of dramatic depth and insight are fleeting. The cinematography was beautiful, with London clouded with greys and smoke, contrasting with the stark reds and yellows of land. and the costume and score did an excellent job of evoking the post-war scene. Nevertheless, these were not enough to save this film from well-meaning, well-produced superficiality. Okay, can I just that thing about yeah. the uh, development of the character? There is uh, a, a scene which I think does that absolutely brilliantly when uh, he is talking to her on the... Uh, I think... I think they're doing it on, on one of the bridges when you can see the House of Parliament behind. And he says, and he's having all these anxieties about what's going to happen. And he says, "Can you imagine? Can you imagine a life in you know my country?" And she says, "Yes, I can. I can imagine it. And we will take it moment by moment together." And what I love about that moment is that the suggestion is that she has always been. Lo- yes, she is. She is taking a leap into the unknown. But the suggestion is that she has always been looking for something else and watch when they that I believe completely in the relationship because when you see them it's her who looks across the room at him it's her who's you know looking for something else it's not I I mean actually I thought the relationship made perfect sense I bought it completely Uh, you can email uh, mayo at bbc.co.uk a united kingdom is out this week uh this is from Mark Holmes before our next movie. What's our next movie, by the way? Uh, Bad Santa 2. OK. Um, further to, discuss, to the, your discussion on the polygonal polygonal nature of the church mm-hmm. and its capacity to accommodate, we would like to put in a bid for an area with capacity for a very great number of the congregation, akin in scale to the Stretford End at Old Trafford okay. or Villa Park's Holt End, pause for explanation that these are football grounds to mark, so Stretford End is a particularly famous part of Old Trafford. Okay. The Holt End, a particularly famous part of Villa Park. OK. Okay. And for this expansive end to be reserved for all those of us in need of Mark's calming words in these troubled times, for we are many. Comfortable old sofas and saggy cushions, a log fire, warm milk and a continuous screening of the Princess Bride would greet all those who enter the it'll be all right in the end. <laughs> end. Mark and Stella, That's a very, long setup for, for a gag, a <laughs> but it's fine. Yes, okay, we'll do that because we we are multi sided. It's, a gag, it's a gag I understood, yes. so I'm very pleased. So you can go in the. It'll be all right in the, the end. End. Very good. So uh, bad Santa's back. More badness. More badness. I remember the first one. Yeah. Did you like the first one? Well, y- yes, in parts. I think. So it the fir- was A long time ago. A long time a long ago. Two thousand and three. So the first one. Wow was, um, yeah, 13 years ago uh, and was directed by Terry Zwiegoff. It made Crumb and Ghost World. And I didn't come out of it thinking I could do with another one. No, and evidently neither did anybody else because <laughs> 13 years later suggests that, you know, <laughs> that everyone thought that's fine. We, we got away with it once. Let's, you know, let's just let that lie. So anyway, this is 13 years later, Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, is back. Uh, Willie and Marcus are reunited, both still at each other's throats. Um, They have one good idea, and the good idea is let's get in Kathy Bates to play um, Willie's uh, mum as a sort of, you know, hard-living, hard-drinking, tattooed, tough woman who works, apparently, at a children's charity shelter and yet is actually only in it for the money.
1: Given City is a charity that 98 cents every dollar goes to Regent Hastings. And how are you supposed to get it? These little buckets here, they're filled with cash up to the brim every day. And then at night, they store that cash in the safe in Regent's office. And that's our target. Christmas Eve, they have a big charity concert. So while the kids and volunteers are all singing, the money is just sitting there waiting for an armor transfer. That's our take, Winda. Last year, the hall was almost two mil. And when do you pull your little Roy Rogers pistol out on me again? I said I was sorry. You gotta let that go, Willie. No, I think I'll hang on to it for a while. If
0: I cut ties with every numbnut who tried to shoot me, I never would have gotten pregnant with you. Come on, boy. Be just like old times.
1: Old times? Mm-hmm. You mean a living nightmare? Why didn't you say so? I'm in. There's a recurrent joke in
0: 22 Jump Street about. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to do exactly the same thing. And that's the joke being, you know, that when you do a sequel, you do exactly the same thing. And there's a sort of gag there about, you know, it's going to be like old times, what you mean, a living nightmare. And the attempt to sort of rekindle that chemistry. I have to say that I didn't laugh once in Bad Santa 2, which is a shame because I, I wasn't a huge fan of the original... I thought the original was, you know, it had it had a certain amount of charm, and not least because it had a kind of a, a, an edge and that kind of a that astringent feel that you need when you're sort of completely surrounded by the saccharine sweetness of Christmas movies. You know, most of which are terrible, to be honest. Uh, so you think, oh, no, okay, that's great. So the idea is, you know, he's a Father Christmas and he's drunk and he's a reprobate and he does this, that, and the other. In the case of this what's happened is that they seem to have imagined that the thing that made the first movie work was just the swearing and the vulgarity and the you know and, but they forget that actually in the first one there was there was something that was off-kilter and oddly charming that there was amidst the sort of you know the the the, the loathsomeness there was something that was actually quite affectionate and touching in the case of this all you get is just the profanity, the abuse, the vomiting, the vulgarness and a mean-spiritedness, which I think actually wasn't present uh, in the first film. I think even those who go and see Bad Santa 2 thinking, oh, great, you know, in, whilst we're getting into the Christmas season of everybody, you know, all, all movies come at you like they're kind of candy floss and chocolate. And well, how, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to see something that's got a bit of edge to it? I think even they will be sorely disappointed. Um you remember Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to buy a Turbo Man in Jingle All the Way, which is a film that always bothered me because it was like, you know, it's a crassly commercial film about the crass commercialization of Christmas. But having seen Jingle All the Way more times than... Because it's on all the time, there is there are certain things in it that are quite funny, you know, I've got to get a Turbo Man... Actually, after a while, sort of seems to become, and you think, oh, well, actually, you know, fine, it is, there is something in there. The father who has to buy the wretched toy for the son, otherwise, his, you know, family life is going to fall apart. Compared with Bad Santa 2, Jingle All the Way, which is not a good film, Jingle All the Way is absolutely Citizen Kane. And Billy Bob Thornton spends the whole thing looking like a man. Paying a check, and it's meant to be that his character is irascible and fed up and grumpy, and it's hard not to imagine that actually it's Billy Bob Thornton being irascible and fed up and grumpy, and wondering why am I doing this? Oh, I know why I'm doing. It. I must be doing it because there's a large paycheck at the end of it. If the first party had the kind of the charm of somebody misbehaving badly at a drunken office party. This is like the hangover the next day, the difference being that it's 13 years later, and that's a hell of a hangover. That's a, a huge gap. I mean, absolutely, in fact, the more you think about it, the more... Because normally a follow-up will be out within two years. Yeah, I mean we Let's have. Let's capitalise on the success of our movie. Let's get people to come straight back the, in again. How long was the gap between Jason Bourne and the and the proper Bourne movie before it? Yeah, got me there. I mean that was quite a while, wasn't it? It's not impossible to do, but generally, if something if you haven't had a sequel for, for it's not because people have spent thirteen years trying to figure out how to make it work it's because nobody wanted to do it because it didn't need to be done. Stuart Wilson in Warrington uh, has been to see Allied, and this is just um, on okay, uh, the that. other side. I recently went to see Allied. Despite my reservations beforehand, I really enjoyed it. It was tense throughout, kept you guessing with a good storyline. What I really loved, though, was the inclusion of a selection of small scenes that really didn't move the story on, but helped keep the tension going throughout. Okay. The card game and the jewellery store I'm thinking of. They were really nicely played, however, I probably won't see it again. For a while, as it's one of those films that once you know the outcome, it probably won't feel the same next time around. I think, Stuart, you're probably right. Can I ask you a question about the cards? When the cards were being shuffled, did you think that that's Brad Pitt's hands doing that? And did you no, think it particularly that's... extravagant showing off? Kind of shuffling, yeah. drawing attention to yourself, shuffling, yeah. which is the kind of thing that a card sharp would do, or someone. Yeah, but about. did you think that's actually Brad Pitt doing that? Or did you think oh, that's either a a stunt double or b CGI? Correct on both counts. <laughs> okay, it's absolutely it's, not going to be I would You didn't even have that mondo movie thing, which is I'm actually watching, actually somebody actually doing something. Yeah, you just think that's a trick. It's definitely a trick. It's I definitely thought, a trick. Unless someone will tell us to the. Context. I want to see the outtakes in which he's wearing the you know the CGI gloves. What? So you can put the cards in between. Email of the week comes from Paul Bevan, Retention Support Officer, Ipswich Campus of the University of Suffolk. OK. I was looking forward to Billy Bob and Tony Cox's latest movie, Bad Santa 2. Sorry. But following Mark's review, I don't think I'll be getting down with the bad elf. Very good. See? Very good. See what he's done there? Very good. I was go- I'm was i going to it use well done. as a festive ad-lib. Very good. Uh, TV Movie of the Week, uh, what are we going to choose here? So we put the list up uh, online, people having a go at what they think is the TV Movie of the Week and then what Mark's going to pick. Mm-hmm. Tommy Brownlee. Mark will further his mission to get us to watch movies that Simon or the vast majority of people won't watch. Therefore, Blood on the Sun. I would prefer the wonderful Valdez is Coming. Neil Skandrit. Saving Private Ryan may be one of the slash, if not the best war movie ever made, but it bothers me that it, uh, it's the Americans who seem to have fought World War II alone. So I vote war games so I can ask, Joshua, what are you doing? Very good. Adrian, what a good movie that is. Yeah. Adrian Thompson, I'd go for war games because it's great, albeit a bit dated. I mean, anything which is computer-based, particularly yes. that far back, <laughs> well, is super dated. Of course, that's going to be but the It game. just adds to its charm. Mark will probably go for loneliness of the long-distance runner. Jamie Dayborn, I think Mark will go for Speed or as Homer Simpson refers to it, the bus that couldn't slow down. or <laughs> well, As Eddie Izzard says, Speed, which in France should have been La Vitesse, but was in fact Speed. George W. Pilgrim, Saving Private Ryan is too good a film not to choose. I hope he doesn't let something else win because of how popular it is. I'm not a fan of war films at all, but it undeniably is a great film. And Aidan Hampson, Mark will go for Clueless, as it really is the best adaptation of that Jane Austen novel. What is our TV movie of the week? Actually, I, I am going to go for The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, not least because it enables me to go... Theatre, 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 Peter Hall. Theatre, 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 Lauren Bacall. Theatre, 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 Tommy Courtenay. Theatre, 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 Laurence Olivier. That's on, um... Talking Pictures TV. What? Yeah, it's, it's written down here. Talking Pictures TV at eight twenty p.m. on the twenty sixth of November. Yes, uh, the production team. It's a popular, it's a popular channel. Yes, everyone's, everyone's, everyone's talking. everyone's there? talking about Talking Pictures. Do you think we could get a show on there? I think we probably have one now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. That's our TV movie uh, of the week. So it's 20 minutes to four. How busy are we now? Okay. So uh, let's very, very quickly do uh, Almost Christmas. You know, I was saying that we are at that. What? Did I interrupt you? No. I'm just smiling at our High-class team who okay, fine. Are busy so, working on ad-libs. So I was saying that, you know, at this time of year, one of the reasons that people will go for a bad Santa movie is that they want an astringent to cut through the 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 you know the, the cheese and the chocolate of other films. So here comes Almost Christmas, which is yet another of those star-studded ensemble cast movies that we always get this time of the year, which is usually dreadful, although this actually is... Jennifer Aniston, in it? No, she's not, no. Right. Um, this is actually... At the upper end of the not-very-good, Danny Glover is the dad facing first Christmas without his his wife, who he has lost. He and his wife, for a long time, uh, have aided a a local shelter, getting the family together for the Christmas gathering, and they're all at each other's throats. Uh, One son is a politician whose rezoning scheme is going to in danger, the shelter. There are two sisters uh, always, always bickering at each other. One of them is putting up with a philandering husband that she doesn't know about yet. Another one is a sports star dealing with his own problems. They're all going to be gathered together around the table and bickering and bonding shall ensue. Here's a clip.
1: So, Daddy, yeah. how do you like the cranberry salad?
0: Pretty good, mm. huh? Very good. <laughs> I made the stuffing. Mm. Do you like it? Tasty. Cheryl, would you like some? Yes. I would, Rachel. That's very nice of y'all. There you go. Thank you. I'm gonna be a copycat. Thank I you. I want some stuffing, too. Well, I mean, You can't get
1: enough stuffing, can you? Sure can. Look <laughs> at <laughs> that. Do you, know you want some stuffing, baby? Boy, I'm a grown-ass woman. Hey, Cameron, you mind passing me the uh, green beans, please? Don't eat too much. We should save some from the shelter. Right, mm. Granddad? That's right, buddy. Yeah. Listen. I'm gonna stab your ass
0: with this fork. Do you hear me? I would love that. Mm. Was that was? You see, I actually, I actually giggled twice during that clip. So here's the thing with this: it's, um, it's, it's too long. It could lose twenty minutes easily, and it's completely formulaic. And you kind of know where all the threads are going. That said, it's redeemed by the fact that it has some very likable performances. I, you know, D- Danny Glover actually manages to bring some pathos. I mean, you know, there's going to be big sort of dollopy helpings of pathos or pathos. Did it? Was it? Was it? Was it? Patho? Pathos? Which is, Robert Zemeckis said, pathos. Yeah, I don't think we need to take pronunciation. No, pathos. Guides. Thank you. Uh, which I think he genuinely does manage to get some. Mo- Monique, I thought, was, was funny. And uh, I, uh, there was three or four uh, lines delivered by Monique, which uh, made me laugh, which meant that it did pretty much edge towards the six laugh test. John Michael Higgins is reliably sort of slimy and creepy. So despite the fact that you you know exactly where you are and you're, you're, you sort of, you you heave a, a sigh it's like sitting down to one of those you know prepackaged christmas dinner you know you know what everything is you know it's all stodgy you know it's all starch you know it's not going to do you any good but hey there might be some you know some exciting little treats along the way and i did have a couple of chuckles and i never felt cross or annoyed with it and it was interesting because i saw it the same day that i saw bad santa too and i got to tell you no question if i had to see one of them again i don't want to see either of them again but if i had to see one of them again i would happily sit through this again rather than bad Santa 2 because at least there were some chuckles tears and laughter something for everyone um spread very very thinly it has to be said but n- not in any way n- not in a way that was in any way problematic when you are presented with your christmas meal yes. what would count then as an exciting little treat on the way, what would you think? really crispy Brussels sprouts are they usually crispy they're not usually crispy, yeah, they? they should be, so that's the thing. The whole thing with Brussels sprouts is that we overcook them, not we, we you know as a nation we over- we kind of nuke Brussels sprouts, so they turn into basically hot snot, yes. you know, but you don't want that. what you want is crispy Brussels sprouts so you bear in mind, Well, how would they get crispy? You, you do them in you know, you know, in a faster way. But well, you fry them. No, you don't fry them. Well, they don't go crispy in the oven. They go uh, burn. No, but you boil them, but for not very long. Then you can't boil them to a crisp. If you boil it, it won't get crispy. They, Simon, they are crispy in and of themselves. Oh, you mean raw? Yeah, if you bite them when they're al raw. Al dente. Al dente. Yes. Oh, fine. So now we're going to go into a foreign language because crispy isn't good enough. Well, okay? no, crispy implies it's I don't really, mean... really cooked. No, no, it doesn't. No, crispy like an apple. You mean like like crunchy? Cris- you mean crunchy? Burnt to a crisp. Is, is, this, is this just me, or is he going? Is he being difficult? It's just me. Okay, fine. Crunchy, Crunch, crunchy sprouts. So barely cooked, almost raw. Yeah, that's right. Raw sprouts, raw carrots, and, and then and then and then always my favourite. We have the uh, the vegetarian nut roast, which you have to absolutely cover in gravy in order to pretend that you're not eating polystyrene. I'm glad. I, I'm so glad <laughs> you're I not asked coming you that. to our house for yeah. Christmas. Raw sprouts. Come on in, everybody. Hey, kids, come on <laughs> in. We got the sprouts barely cooked. I showed them briefly to the, uh, to, the <laughs> to the saucepan, but they're still cold. Very good. <laughs> mm, they're, they're really crispy. You mean or crunchy? crunchy, al dente. Thanks. Which you know what that means? Outdoors. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, what else have we got? Quarter okay. to four. Movie Uh, time. Let's do Patterson. So uh, Patterson, which is the new movie by uh, Jim Jarmusch, uh, and (coughs) pardon me, stars Adam Driver. Um, It's one of those films that Adam Adam Driver... Adam Driver? ...in Patterson. Adam Driver plays a driver called Patterson in Patterson in Patterson. Uh, Again? Adam Driver plays a bus driver called Patterson... In Patterson. ...who lives in Patterson, in a film called Patterson. Um... He's a habitually unpublished poet. Um, his partner keeps saying, you know, well, oh, you've got to save your poems. Am I going to ever hear them? Am I ever going to see them? No, no, no. He writes his poems and he writes them in a book. Basically, he drives the bus around all day. He listens into conversations of people that he hears on the bus. Then at lunch break, he takes out his, um, his lunchbox. He has a notepad in which he starts to write. He looks at a waterfall. He muses upon life and love. And as he writes the poems, they appear on the screen, written in the same soft font handwriting that's as as gentle on the eye as his voice is on the ear. Here's a clip. Hello, darling. Hello, honey. I'm painting.
1: Hello, Marvin. I see that.
0: What do you think? Does it make everything more interesting?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. How was your day? Your usual. Getting your writing done? I did a little, yeah. Working on a poem for you.
0: A love poem?
1: Yeah, I guess if it's for you, it's a love poem. It's kind of inspired by our uh, Ohio blue tip matches.
0: Really? Does it mention the little megaphone shape the letters make?
1: Yeah, actually it does.
0: How beautiful can't wait to read it, and it's done. Golshita uh, Farhani and Adam Driver and Marvin the dog in the background there. The interesting thing about this film is that if you tried to write down what the plot of it was, the plot would be almost non-existent. It's that somebody has a apparently pretty happy home life. They drive a bus, which they seem to be quite content with. They write poems, although they keep the poems largely to themselves. Um... And there is something of Ghost Dog in there. There is also something of Stranger Than Paradise in there. It has that sort of whimsical, uh, you know, slightly askance and slightly magical look at the world, which is the thing which is Jim Jarmusch has, has always been known for. What I liked the fil- about the film was, firstly, the performances are, are, are really lovely and really, really sweet. I mean, the central couple you absolutely believe in, despite the fact that they seem to live this kind of, strangely bohemian lifestyle that is not one with which I am familiar in any way, shape or form, I did believe in them. I did believe in their relationship. I did believe in the world in which they lived. The whole thing is beautifully lensed by Frederick Elms, who manages to capture both the strange beauty of a dappled suburban street and the intimacy of a small but happy home... The film, as always with John Mush is filled with vignettes of meetings with people which never quite turn out the way you think they're going to. He habitually walks the dog to the local bar, and in the bar he meets people and talks to them. And the conversations are always a little askance, a little gnomic. Um, there's an encounter at the very, very end of the film which seems to bring something like narrative closure. But generally the film itself like the poems which uh, adam driver's character patterson writes in patterson are uh, it's like a tone poem the whole thing is to do with the mood the whole thing is to do with the in you know other word the whole thing about poetry is that you read the poem and you read it again and you dip in and out of it and then it leaves you with it leaves you with single images i mean like the poems that he writes tend to be this like he this one thing that he writes about i look down at a glass of beer and looking at it makes me feel glad and or, you know, I pass somebody on the street and then at one point he has an encounter with a young girl who's writing poetry and she just looks at him and she, and people keep saying to him, are you a poet? It's if they can kind of tell that he's a poet, despite the fact that he's never published, despite the fact that nobody's read his poetry, despite the fact that his poetry is captured in a book and is not being reproduced anywhere else. And the whole thing has a a sort of accumulative lyrical charm. It's very, very nicely paced. It's really beautifully played by, as I said, by performers who you believe in the lives of their characters. It's shot with that kind of melancholy, nostalgic, slightly unreal or perhaps slightly hyper-real sense of the ordinary made extraordinary. It's a film in which the central character spends a lot of time looking at apparently incidental details and the, the joy of the film is that you end up looking at them the same way that he does. You end up looking at the roads and the streets and the bridge and the waterfall with the same eye as he does, and the film slows you to its rhythm. It's like listening to a piece of music which starts out, you think you're playing it at the wrong speed. You know, John Peel was constantly getting albums that were 45 on one side and you play them at 33 and you think that can't be right and then it turns out... It's like that. It's a film that takes you from 45 down to 33 and then just lets you spend time with these people. And there is something that approaches the narrative denouement, but that's absolutely secondary to what the film is essentially, which is a mood poem that works visually and works very well. Donald Graham in Battersea. Uh, Dear Mark and Lard, I was lucky enough to see Patterson a couple of weeks ago before its release, so I thought I would... Uh, send this email, the first to your programme I must admit that my main reason for going was the Q&A with Adam Driver afterwards I'm very glad I caught this Patterson is a warm, funny and touching portrayal of a beautiful relationship and an excellent cinematic tribute to the beauty that can be found in a simple life Adam Driver is fantastic proving he is a magnetic screen presence whether on the big or small screen working on high or low budget productions the rest of the cast Kylo Ren of course and it was refreshing to see a film that does not rely on some convoluted plot or huge twist to keep you engaged. It feels like it takes a brave filmmaker to stick with a simple story and have faith that the audience will stay with it. Patterson was funny, warm uh, and great to see, especially at the moment, a different side to America in the setting of Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, Donald Graham. So... I do a couple if, more films? If, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If, yes, you couple, can do a couple sure, of films. Sure. So... Um, Dr B in Sussex nearly crashed my car in catatonic fugue waiting for Mark oh, really? To realise he meant crunchy, not crispy. Oh, sorry. had he got there in the end. Jim, In that we've got so many sprout recipes. Thank you so much. I'm still not entirely sure that I do mean Gym crunchy, London, not crispy. But... I was so exasperated with Mark calling boiled sprouts crispy, I burnt the toast and I set the smoke alarm. Oh, right. So now it's all my fault. Uh, here's something that is our fault. John Fisher... Says your slightly disparaging remarks about talking pictures TV was undeserved by this channel. Free sat. I wasn't being disparaging, I just hadn't heard of it. 306, Freeview, channel 81. It's the best film channel on TV, showing vintage films more or less 23 hours a day. Okay, I stand. I, I, I was absolutely not being disparaging about it. I was being disparaging about the fact that neither you nor I know any more than four channels. In fact, three channels. I know quite a few more than you do. OK, fine. Well, in that case, I'm, I will refer you back to well, the fact is. that I'm very pleased that the, uh, the film of the week is on talking movies. Uh, talking pictures. Talking pictures. See, t- t- this is my ignorance, not theirs. The-, the fault is mine, not theirs. Neil, in Lincolnshire, you mentioned a film where Tom Hanks played a disreputable character. Was there one? How about Bonfire of the Vanities? He's far more skilled and adaptable actor than we give him credit for. Yeah, that's true. Although Bonfire of the Vanities was, of course, a massive flop. Also, the Lady Killers says uh, Ian. Yeah, but that's film. not. Yeah, now, yeah, Tom Hanks again, says, a massive flop. Tom Hanks actually says, "People Why 'Why didn't you do uh, other? Why don't you do a Coen Brothers film?' And he said, What like the Coen Brothers film that I did, uh, which is the Lady Killers.' So, uh, five and a half minutes to four. What have you got? Anything? Okay. Else? Well, let's do uh, Mum's list. Sorry, which made headlines in uh, 2010. Um, it, it's it, it's a story about a couple, Singe uh, Singe Green, and uh, his wife Kate who uh has cancer and leaves a list of uh it's a true sorry leaves a, a a list of wishes for him and for her son and um you've probably sort of read about the, the the book and the story itself and the wish list includes things like would love the boys to find their own four leaf clovers would like reef to learn recorder or guitar um there's a it's a recurrent thing about using the phrase acres and acres which is how they describe the, the extent of their affection and their love for each other. And the film tells the story in a non-linear fashion, moving backwards and forwards, starting at a point of grieving and then moving back to see the relationship playing out and the highs and lows. And um, Raceball and Amelia Fox are the, uh, the two central players in the film. And I have to say they, they are really convincing, really, really convincing. This is a film which is clearly made um, with an awful lot of heart and an awful lot of sensitivity and um, an, an admirable attempt to take the narrative and present it in a way which makes it work uh, as a film um it's shot by Evan Bolter and while I was watching the film I thought this 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 camera work is really terrific and of course then I realized that Evan Bolter whose name came up at the end is the person who shot chicken and there is something of that intimate tactility of chicken in the film. The story is both heartbreaking and ultimately uplifting. I have to uh, confess that it, it moved me very much and uh, I thought it was very well handled with, uh, you know, with material that it's, it's not easy to get the right tone with it, but I thought the film was made with honesty and charm. And, uh, and as I said, the camera work really, you know, really stood out and really did well. Completely uh, different, uh, the wailing, which is this uh, horror movie by uh, Na Hong-jin who made uh, Yellow Sea. And um, I think we have a couple of emails about this. We'll be very quiet. It got opens for, with a quotation from Luke. See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So the story is of an outbreak of viral violence, uh, South Korean film, which is turning townsfolk against each other, bungling police officer first imagines that it's uh, poisoned mushrooms. But then suspicion turns towards a Japanese man who has been seen around the area about whom everybody feels suspicious, and the suggestion is that somehow he is a spirit, he is a ghost, he is what would in another culture be a jinn. And the investigation then becomes even more cranked up when Jungo, who's leading the investigation, his daughter, Hyojin, appears to become possessed by an evil spirit, at which point the film turns into the most extraordinary mashup of Ringu the exorcist Memories of Murder and a bit of Ken Russell's The Devils there is one extraordinary set piece which is a three-way intercut between a shaman casting a death spell the mysterious stranger performing his own rituals and the daughter writhing in what may or may not be some form of demonic infestation which and contorting in a way that makes the contortions of The Last Exorcism look positively tame it's it's a really odd film. It starts with kind of knockabout, satirical, undercutting comedy and then moves into something which is really kind of operatically creepy and odd and genuinely bamboozling. And it's called the Wailing. Do we have a couple of emails? Why, why did yeah? We only got about a minute. I had not I was things. I just I did not know where it was going. Why did you say I really want to get you to see this movie, but I don't think because it's two and a half hours long, and I would really like you to sit because I think it will creep you right out. Okay, I don't think I'm going to see it. Are we uh, going to get an email? We ha- we are going to put them in the podcast. Okay, because uh, because there isn't time. Uh, basically, because of the Sprout conversation, which <laughs> right. is, which is big. By the way, before we get there. Um, can I, there's a very uh, long email from Chris Moody which basically boils down to this. Could you say I'd be eternally grateful if you could thank Rachel for everything. So just managed to squeeze that. Rachel, in. thank you for everything. Okay, parboil the sprouts, okay, and then stir fry them then they're crunchy. Crispy. Okay. Crispy. And nice crisp apple. But you have to parboil Nice crisp it. apple. Nobody says it's crunchy, they say crispy apple. Movie of the week? Oh, well the United Kingdom obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean I entirely agree. Yeah. So we just finished our live show. Yes. And I'll, uh, I have got the reviews of... I knew you had some emails I about I didn't want to throw them away. No, no, I didn't want you to throw when, them away when either. When Drive just started, yeah, they did a big thing about Black Friday. And I know what, what is that? Well, this is an American import because it's the day after Thanksgiving. Did it not it, play on region two then. Every time, you know, it's like right—you've had Thanksgiving now. Get out there. Here are some bargains. Why? But the thing is, the whole point only makes sense if you've had Thanksgiving. Yeah, it doesn't make sense in this country if you haven't had Thanksgiving. The other thing is, I didn't understand. I kept getting emails about it, and I thought it—I thought it was a—you know—a sale. It's just a—it's a no, sale. but you know, like when they had Black Monday, which was or Black—what's the day when the, when the stock market crashed? Yeah, it was always Black Monday, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, or Blue Monday. Fats mm, Domino. Fats um, mm, mm, Domino. Yeah. So when I say Blue Monday, the first thing you think of is not New Order, the first thing you think of is well, Fats Domino. Both. I mean, they're both classic songs, but Fats Domino, mm, 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 that mm. doesn't even sound remotely like I used to all. live with a guy, right, in, uh, in a house in Manchester, and he had the 12-inch of Blue Monday, which has four, count them, four versions of that song on it, and he would play it over and over and over still the biggest selling over. twelve inch full time mm-hmm. played it last mm-hmm. Tuesday actually. really all the way through you played it day. on Tuesday I, on, on <laughs> that Tuesday. was that was inappropriate yeah. so okay so get for me from uh, new order to Kurt Vonnegut in two moves no all right I'll leave it to everybody else to do but, that connection Rich B Plymouth or Rich B in Plymouth if you can count <laughs> Rich, how many if, Rich B Plymouth yeah if you can count, tell her Johnny be good if you can count, Johnny be good Rich be Plymouth if you can count how many sprouts are on your plate, they're not cooked enough. <laughs> That's very good. Rob in Neath. Sprouts are best shredded and fried with bacon bits and walnuts. Would that make them crispy if they were would fried? Would it? It would. Would it? There's a difference. Have you ever well, had a said, crispy I apple? Crunchy to make it crispy. Have you ever I'll had a think... crispy apple? Uh, no, it's crunchy. It's a crunchy apple. There's a difference. If you say... What was the name of that advert when they argued about whether it was smooth or crunchy? Don't know peanut it? butter. Well, no, not it. peanut butter. There's a chocolate bar that somebody was somebody going. It's smooth. It's crunchy. You know, it's. I do. I do think that most people. It's a floor polish. It's a pudding topping. Food that's crispy. It's like crispy bacon has been really cooked a lot. Don't know. Don't eat bacon. I know, but you you still observe. You haven't switched off your senses. <laughs> you know what crispy bacon is, even if you don't. No, you eight. actually have to switch off your senses because the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how long you don't eat meat for. Every time you walk past some- somebody a hundred yards down the road, is eating a bacon sandwich. You know a crisp, yes, that's crisp. That's not a raw slice of potato because crisp, that's, yes, crisp. Right, it's been oh, cooked and fried. Fine. You know, Good King Wenceslas. You're not going to win this one. Good King Wenceslas looked out. Yes. On the feast of Stephen. Yes. When the snow yeah. Lay round about deep and crisp. Yeah. And even but that's not food. It's Neither there. is it fried. It's snow. I'm sorry, you're not gonna you aren't gonna win this. Crisp. Yes. Deep and crisp and even, but snow. <laughs> yes, that's right. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't work as an argument, by the way. Have you ever seen Love and Death? Yes, because <laughs> they're so poor, and she has to make all these favourite dishes out of snow. <laughs> do the thing about it. I think it's a little undercooked. Really, I do not. know. I had it in the oven. So oh, just, no, never mind. For your for afters, I have your favourite sleet. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> just to be absolutely clear, yours the sprouts that you love for Christmas are they're sort of underdone. They're st- not underdone. They're, they're, they're not underdone. They're still raw, crunchy. They're not raw. They're cooked properly. But they're not crispy in as much as they've been stir-fried. No. Oh, for God's sake. I'm losing the will to live. Well, I am just asking the question on behalf of the audience. You know, as at my house we're meat. going to have crispy sprouts, and as we have them, we're going to we're going to raise a glass to Simon Mayo. <laughs> and his My guess is your family overcooked think, meat. They're, think they're crunchy sprouts. My guess is that my family are going to keep shtum on the subject. Because they know that yeah. having grumpy dad on Christmas Day is one of the least fun things I in the whole world. They might contact me secretly and then I'll call you up. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? Eh? Yeah, I thought we always hang out during holidays, don't we? I mean, you know, that's it. When we finish the show here, we just carry on hanging that's out together. Right. That's right. You're going to come over for uh, All Request Friday? I am, yeah. And I'm going to come along and hang out just backstage for your TV thing with, what's that guy? Gavin Essler? I love the way you pretend that you can't remember his name. I just momentarily went blank. You know those feelings. <laughs> yeah. Jim Armstrong. Apparently so. Aeroplane station. I caught the wailing at uh, London Film Festival. Oh, good. I have to say, I wasn't that impressed. Oh, First okay. off, I'm very ambivalent towards the English title, which is not a great fit. I'd say the manic screaming yes. <laughs> or the sobbing uncontrollably would definitely work better, as there's an awful lot of both in this movie. Yeah. Koreans definitely like their actors to emote hard, and the OTT performances do detract from a plot that ought to be dark, subtle, and mysterious. Plus, the odd mix of gore and buffoonery uh, and a very puzzling ending make for a lopsided and ultimately unsatisfactory film. Okay, I much preferred the leaner, meaner Train to Busan, which I think everyone should seek out. Yeah, I agree with that. And... uh, uh, Rory, who's in County Sligo. I've been listening to the show for about six years, just a quarter of my 21 years and ongoing. It's the first time I've emailed the show and I listened to today's programme with some trepidation as I managed to see the the whaling earlier this year and have been eagerly awaiting... Uh, Mark's view on it, as despite seeing and heavily enjoying both The Witch and Under the Shadow, it may be my favourite horror film of the year. Oh, wow. The Wailing seems quite odd on paper and ultimately... Impact. Seems quite odd on the screen. <laughs> a two and a half hour epic that genre hops from police procedural to comedy to horror to melodrama, all the while attempting to explore Korea's troubled history with Japan and its complicated spiritual identity with things that go bump in the night. It's a lot to square away into one film, but it's pulled off with inspired direction, original storytelling, and a central father and daughter relationship that I found so involving and well-played that it left me teary-eyed in the end. A disturbing, surreal, yet affecting cracker of a movie, and I hope more people go and see it. Fantastic. He's a big fan, he is. You know what they've done, don't you? What? Our top team have tweeted a wittertainment thing which says, it's one of those votes, how do you like your sprouts? Crunchy or crispy? They're actually they're just ganging up on me now. This is internet bullying. You know, this is this is internet bullying. It, 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 I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote for crispy. It's sort of you against everyone, though. Yeah. So there we are. I've voted for crispy. How do you like that? And apparently, 45 percent of people so far have gone for crispy. Donald Trump won an election on that. So in a referendum, <laughs> you've lost. <laughs> anyway. Um musically speaking yes um we definitely having a little glass do... of champagne are we, we going to finish with that well yeah and but we're also going to have have a banana oh, Shall we do a little bit of yes right so you say in copacabana copacabana it's in the it's, it's in the sort eight. the middle eight in right. the middle eight okay middle eight is, my, it is. Sick and passion were always the fashion at the Copa She, she lost her love Now listen, I'm listening So you curve So at the moment it's still saying Copacabana. Still doing it? Mm-hmm. Have I missed it? It, it hasn't happened yet. Where's it gone? Maybe you were hallucinating No, it wasn't. Well, yeah, I wasn't. Well, it stopped. That's how it finishes. I've definitely got a version of it in which they say, have a banana. What are you... I'm not making it up. I'm absolutely... Have a banana. No, because that middle eight goes on for longer in the. Okay. Well, why don't you bring in your version? That's an we'll abridged that. version of the middle eight. There's lots of shame faces in the control booth. We, we got a postcard. We got the version that didn't say banana. Got a postcode here. A postcard. A postcode. Doctor Peter McGovern. Yeah. M B B E C H B A O M R C Psych. Dear doctors, as honorary, it says on the front, Fiji Islands. Dear Doctors, as honorary members of the Mahandushi Movie Club in Zanzibar, yes. I thought I should inform you that we've temporarily decamped to east slash west of Java to the island of Fiji. New membership cards will follow post-haste. Hello to Jason. Love the show, Steve. Regards, Dr Peter McGovern. P.S. Feel there needs to be a receipt of postcard service, much like an email, so that when you get a postcard, you send one back. OK. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Apart from that, there's no address, Peter, but thank you very much indeed. But where's he? he just says he's Fiji. Fiji Island. So we just put Peter, Fiji Islands. Fiji Island. Yeah, but Peter. I guess if we said Peter McGovern and then all those very impressive initials, yeah, something they know, they they know. know, know. My guess is he's thirty-four, and he's (laughs) this worked so well last time. I think he's got sort of mousy brown hair, a little bit of a beard, and a moustache, which is probably a mistake. And (laughs) he's probably wearing flip flops and long kind of Bermuda shorts, those kind of surfing shorts. Is there a moustache that is not a mistake? Uh well um who's a some good... p- some people look particularly fine. Go on, who's who's a good moustache wearer? Tom Selleck, Burt Reynolds? Bert yeah, Burt Reynolds. Hugo Lloris, Spurs captain. Yeah, that was I knew you were gonna get there in the end. I think it might have gone now. Anyway, have you ever had a Tash? No. Have you had a beard? Hercule Poirot? I couldn't grow a beard. Hercule no, no, I can't either. Why can't you? I can't. Well it's just, we just... Do you have ball patches all over it? No, it just wouldn't grow. I'm still actually 14. Is your voice broken? Do you know what happens mm-hmm. with me? Because I fell out of a car when I was young. That would explain quite a lot. But um, you <laughs> but, um, actually <laughs> <didn't forget laughs> did the problem. Well, sorry, that was that was accidental. We were driving. We were driving in my. We were driving in my mother's car, and my mum had a. It was a, almost a madness. I I know. I know. Uh, and my mum had a Morris Minor, you know the ones with the the the, the indicators that would flip out. Yes, and if there was a trafficator, psych- trafficator, trafficator, that's right. And if there was a cyclist next to you, you'd whack him in the ear with it. And I was oh, in, goodness. I was in the front seat, and she said, "Have you locked that door?" And I said, "Yes." And to prove it, I leant on it, demonstrating oh, yeah. that only had I not locked the door, but I hadn't actually shut the door. So I fell out, and I fell out on my chin and my um, uh, the side of it, this bit. So anyway, I've got these sort of weird scars. But you can't see them, but they just... What happens is that the hair won't grow on them. And when you grow a beard, like there's a bit here that doesn't grow and a bit here doesn't get So it just looks like... I look like that thing, you know, in, uh, Team, in America, Wo- Team America World Police where they just end up with a beard stuck up with bits of glue. I look like I'm just wearing a fake beard. On balance, don't do it then. No, and also bits of it of ginger. So, OK, well, I'm not prejudiced against hair... No, but the thing is, I'm not ginger. I'm grey... But your and beard is ginger. It's weird. That's very strange. Yeah, although, actually, it was a long time. I haven't had, I haven't grown one for such a long time. I don't know. But there is, yeah, there is a picture of me at the age of. Oh, yeah Oh, it's not good. Well, it does appear to be that time when we do DVD of the week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> with a capacity of 64 minutes per side on clv discs you can almost fit some films on just one modern laser disc (laughs) and at just 250 grams or half a pound each you can carry your entire film collection wherever you go as long as you have a Bedford-sized van follow you around. So what big, shiny hunk of plastic should you buy this week? And what will Mark Dr Disk pick? Mike Gray says you can actually get a Laserdisc-sized edition of Finding Dory this week, so let's go for that. Uh, producer Simon adds, Disney and Pixar are releasing Finding Dory as a big sleeve edition featuring the movie on Blu-ray and DVD and a collection of 12-inch art cards on November the 28th. Ian Lambert, <laughs> Finding Dory for me because I want that gorgeous pseudo-LD packaging. No point in buying physical media if it doesn't come in a 12-inch square cardboard sleeve. Mark Gorman says, I think Mark will be inclined to pick Jinnah since Christopher Lee stars in it and Sir Christopher left us for the big laser disc in the sky only this past June Nick Ponyhead good name Mm. I'm going to show some love for Driller Killer love for our and I'm sucker for anything 70s, 80s NYC based Oopshadooby yeah Oopshadooby absolutely Uh, Paul Fleming Coca-Cola joke for the reissue of Assault on Precinct 13 which Mark will go Tony Coca-Cola Mark will go for Driller Killer still traumatised says Kevin Blow by watching Driller Killer on video as a 12 year old that's not good no it's not in 1980, so it's got to be Jason Bourne. What is our DVD of the week? The Driller Killer thing is interesting because I did think about it because there is that... that, I mean, I just love the central idea in Driller Killer that that Abel Ferrara is this character who's an artist who can't sell his paintings, but the thing that drives him mad is the terrible punk band rehearsing downstairs, which is Tony Coca-Cola and the Roosters, isn't it? Oop-shadooby, oop-shadooby. And, uh, in fact, when we did the the first series of Sally Lloyd Jukebox, we played that song... Um, for our sins, uh, but no, I'm going to go for Jason Bourne, and I'll tell you why I'm going to go for Jason. Why? Bourne. Why are you going to go? for Well, Jason firstly because I liked it, and secondly because I was in the street the other day, and I bumped into Paul Greengrass, who I haven't seen in a very long time, and uh, I know you see him more than I do. Only occasionally. Yeah, fine. Well, I haven't seen him like even occasionally. I haven't seen him in you know several years. Did you remember you? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the very first thing that leapt to mind was, oh, I really enjoyed Jason Bourne, which reminded me how much I'd really enjoyed Jason Bourne. Then we talked for a little bit about whether or not it had been a hit and, you know, whether it had done... What did he say? Just, you know, he said, yeah, he enjoyed it. And it was, you know, he was very non-committal, But, you know, he was probably... He had somewhere to go and he wanted, you know, to be doing something other than talking to that annoying (laughs) bloke off the radio. But it reminded me how much I had enjoyed Jason Bourne, having gone in to see it, worried that I wasn't going to enjoy it because of how much the Bourne legacy... The one that didn't have Matt Damon yeah. was it with Jeremy Renner Rene. and uh, and uh, what's his name and the, the guy. other guy anyway. Guy. So I'm going to go for Jason Bourne. Plus, they appear to have re-released all the other Jason Bourne films, uh, all the other Bourne films, which you, you fine, but just don't get the one that doesn't have him in it. Very good. You've been spectacularly, you've been spectacular, uh, I would say, and uh, really good and smart and incisive and profound and witty and except for when it comes to crispy and crunchy. Well, that is a slightly you know you, when you get home. Text me, okay, and be honest. I don't, I, you know, things I won't even need to wait to get, my, my family will text you beforehand and go, yeah, yeah, dad's a fool, doesn't know the difference between crispy and crunchy. Should we do some champagne? Yes. Just, just for people who don't remember, remind us who Sailor were. I got no idea, but they were a strange. The lead singer kind of tried to sound like Brian Ferry every now and again. Yeah, and he so he, so he went a little glass of champagne, and they had a big hit with "Girls, Girls, Girls." It's actually a really good song, but it's so outdated and sexist when you hear it now. You <laughs> go, right. no, you could. Should we play that? Would be really good. Should we just listen to it? Listen to it. go, No, I don't think that's, <laughs> that's going to get on. It's a bit like Quantum Jump doing um, the Lone Ranger, which starts with that fantastic long. Uh, Marry, break a place name. Thing, that thing, that one, yeah. which Kenny Everett used to use. Yeah, and then it gets so. into that awful. But then it's got awful, awful, a line, or aw- yes, awful, yeah, which is which is therefore means we can't, yeah. just can't play it. At the time, exactly. it was played a lot, but you can't use that kind of language anymore. Yeah, and so then, there are some songs that just don't get played. Yeah, there, there are a whole load of songs which you cannot, you've just forgotten. However, this one we think is fine. Can. For a glass of champagne What is champagne? Spine. Speak properly, man Are they a Chin and Chapman band? They've got that kind of rack sound, haven't I they? I'll look them up now I'll look them up faster than you, have they? Yeah, you probably will British pop band, best known for a glass of champagne And Girls, Girls, Girls Written by the group's lead singer and 12-string guitar player George Kajanast. Oh, George, yeah. He'd written Flying Machine for Cliff Richard. Have a banana. Rum, bum, bum, failed to reach the diggly-dum. EMI, apparently. Uh, still looking this is actually up. surprisingly uninteresting, this yeah. biography. <laughs> But it does mean that we can talk about the song and all that. Here we go, over. chorus. Here
1: we go. Four, three, two, one.
0: A okay, so he's Norwegian, apparently. George. Yeah, he's a Norwegian composer and pop musician, best known as the lead singer and songwriter of the British pop group Sailor. Got to number two in York, 1975. Yeah, so he'd be York. G E O R G. York. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. Exciting play-out. See, so born in Trondheim, Trondheim, Norway, as opposed to Trondheim, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And now the Trondheim Hammer Dance. <laughs> Racist. <Let's get> together, <laughs> I had a fantastic celebrity moment earlier. Oh, go on. The Trondheim Hammer Dance is a Monty Python reference. Uh, they start one of their records with, and now the Trondheim Hammer Dance. Anyway, so I'm, I'm at Radio 2 getting a cup of tea, and standing by the lift, Michael Palin. So I go say, All right, Michael, how are you doing? Yeah, chat, chat, chat. What are you plugging? I'm plugging this. Lift doors open. Who do you think comes out of the lift? Don't Michael Heseltine. No. So there's Lord Heseltine, and Michael looks at me and goes, Oh, look, there's Michael Heseltine. <laughs> so that was quite good, I thought. You didn't start doing slapping each other with a fish? That's no. again okay. yeah, That's the. I, think it, I can't remember what the Trondheim Hammer Dance and how it goes, but it's very entertaining. Maybe next week. Anyway, anyway. Thanks very much indeed. I'm going to go and have Talking a... Pictures TV sprouts. have just tweeted that we have selected the loneliness of the long distance run. And in order to show my support for them, I'm going to retweet that. Excellent. That's very. Because cool. I hear they are an excellent TV station. Uh, thank you for downloading this podcast. Oh yeah, should we do the thing and Th- thank you? For... Thank you for downloading this podcast. But the, uh, that bit's always louder than the rest of the show. Thanks for downloading this podcast. We appreciate it very much. Thanks very much indeed. Send us money. Thank you. (laughs) On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.